Hey, whoa, my mic. Hey, what's good, people? I'm Jason DeBayas. This is the Option Podcast. This is episode 108. That man is organized. He's got his stuff together. <laughs> He's going to take us through it. That's Brian McDermott. The episode starts right now. Guess who's back? Back again. Guess who's back? Clean shaven. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, my mic is bugging out right now. Hold on. It's all good. Yeah, I've had different facial hair most of these podcasts. Yeah, I keep you on your toes. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was like three different looks <laughs> out of the four out of the four times. Guys, this is the episode. This is the Option Podcast. This is episode one hundred and eight. That's Brian McDermott. Welcome back, my man. Good to be here, man. What's yeah, new? man. Well, we're gonna talk about a lot of club, but let's let's um. Actually, it's not my mic. It's my headphones. Good. All right, yeah, you good. sound pretty good to me. Yeah, because my I thought my mic was kicking in and out. It was no, it was the way I was hearing it. I got a little red eye too, man. So I've, I've been trying to profile this whole podcast. I've been avoiding it. I, I I haven't been getting a lot of sleep, and my 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 eye is making me pay for it. So I look like Michael Bisbing right now. I'm like cross-eyed, you know, I'm red because <laughs> right a red eye makes you look like you're cross-eyed a little bit. But um, hey, you were coaching at the AVP. You coaching some people, and yeah, they weren't. The and they were they were adults, right? Were they adults? Yeah. Or? I mean, we, we, you know, so just to give a little background people, I, I run progression beach volleyball. We have two indoor beach volleyball courts in the Chicagoland area. So uh, primarily we do a lot of juniors training, but I got to tell you, I think this next year we're going to shift a little bit more to adults. Um, we have been training some of the top adults in Chicago since as early as 2015. Um, so we've got nine women in the program. And it's really nice because our girls that are going off to play in college, you know, we're not trying to just get kids to be the best 16 to 18 year olds. We know that in a year they're going to be playing with kids one to three years older than them with division one experience. And we need to prep them for that speed. So I've, I've worked with nine adults over the last year uh, on the women's side in Chicago, uh, my better half. And, and she coached with us. Kristen Held played her first AVP with um, Jesse Carnes, formerly Jesse Garrig, who was from Ohio, but moved to Chicago. And it was a blast. Um, Wednesday was we we had to play the one day because they didn't have enough points. So they had to play one game to get to phase two. Uh, they played against two of the top juniors in the country. Um, one is going to FSU. The other is going to USC. I think one was the 2021 AAU player of the year. They were definitely um, I think they were both defenders and we were able to kind of take advantage of that. So it was a good we, we won the first one pretty convincingly. The second game. It was really windy. I mean, we're talking like 15, 20 mile an hour gusts. Dude, yeah, um, that first day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it was it was good. The, the second game started just a little bit squirrely. And then uh, we, we were down pretty big. I think we were down 15-10. Just, just, you know, typical serve-receive rut and just struggling a little bit to maintain it. And they they made a little bit of a push. And, and Kristen said there was a play, like 15-11, it was a long volley, and they, they got the point. She said she just felt that momentum shift we we always tell our players it's, we, we don't play against the clock right so i don't know about you when i play i always am visualizing how i'm going to make that comeback 
every single time I play. And I lose all the time, but I can be down 19-13, and I'm thinking, all right, side out, generate two points on the serve, get 16-19 on the switch, right? So they they just kind of took ownership of that, and and I think it was 17-17, and Chris had back-to-back blocks, and Jesse had a shot over the block to, to finish the match, so that was good. So day two, draw uh, Fallon and, and Gina Urango and, and came home and watched uh, a couple matches of them, specifically the one where they played April and Alex and went three in, in Manhattan. And yeah. That, so, so I think cool. that was the only one Alex and April went to three, right? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And it was, it was cool. Cause um, you know, we're, I'm a big believer. What I told them is like, look, most Wednesdays, Thursdays, you're, you're working. Right. And, and, you know, for their first qualifier together, Kristen's first qualifier ever, um, she'd made three NVL main draws, but this is a little bit different, you know, speed. I, I said, this is opportunities for greatness, right? Regardless of win or loss, like the bottom line is you win three games today, you're realistically probably going to draw the the world champions. And how cool would it be? Like how many people get the opportunity where truly you've got an opportunity that if you seize it, 24 hours, you can literally play against the, the team that won the gold medal a month ago. It's, it's incredible, Right. And so we were watching the film on this team and uh, it was cool. Jesse wasn't with us, but we're texting. She, we're watching the same match. We're texting back and forth things we're looking at. And and we went into that match with, with a pretty steady game plan. Um, first game, I think we underestimated, you know, we saw how long Fallon was, but just, you know, four soft blocks that we just kind of were caught off guard with shots that were falling um, the, the previous day. She was just getting that little extra reach and, and sending it back. Uh, lost that one 21-18. Uh, second game, we were up 9-3. A um, couple things happened. Uh, the the wind picked up a little bit, and I thought we we just kind of – the pass and set, we didn't adjust, so just a couple balls off the net and gave them something that they could tra- transition and, and put away. And then Gina's jump serve took over at the end of it. So, But they, they fought. It was uh, 2014. They got a side out and an ace to, to push, like – I was so proud of them because, you know, at the end of the day, what they got from it is we know we can hang at this level, right? There are things we have to be more consistent with. There are things we have to, to work. But from a physical perspective, um, it wasn't like it was too fast for them. Uh, the things we wanted to, to game plan and execute when we executed it succeeded. So that was uh, good to know. So, you know, we're going into 2022. They're, they're hoping to continue to play together a little bit and, um, it was kind of good to kind of see what are the things we're going to work on as we go into the offseason. So it was, it was a, it was fun being in the box and coaching, but you know, it's really about them. That's, that's what I was focused on. And and I thought, while we didn't get the result we wanted, um, I, I think they're, they're in a good position to, to kind of set the table to keep moving forward. They're, they're young, they're, they're hardworking. They, they got the tools. So great chemistry. So we'll see how it goes. I think, on the pro scene, I mean, I thought about this uh, more for the women than the men, though the men have actually surprised the shit out of me. Um, to have this influx that de- uh, of just things that are that where upsets are the norm, <laughs> you know, or or just like people just doing better than 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 you expect them to do has become the norm for women's uh, pro scene. I know we're, we're here to talk mostly about. Um, um, club, but I wanted to get. Um, I wanted to introduce this. Like we just said, Fallon and Gina t- was the only team that took a set from Alex and April, right? They're in the qualifier, right? Losing to the uh, the next one, they lose to the Brazilians. They don't even make the main draw, and the Brazilians make the finals. 
Right. So, so, um, and then you got Nuss and Cloth, right, from the qualifier, or uh, winning Atlanta from from mm-hmm. all the way from the qualifier to the final. So, it's it's almost been kind of the norm because there's such a huge bustle, uh, uh, just this blow blown up. I'm bumbling over my words. Me, the gift of gab. Oh. Me, the gift of gab, bumbling over my own words. This huge bl- blow up of just talent, where where we know. That Alex and April playing their best ball separate themselves from the pack, but but after them, you got everybody, dude. You got everybody from all the way from the top of the qualifier to the bottom of the main draw to the main, to the middle to all the way to the end, man. Um, I mean, look, Team Slays are the other team that made the Olympics, but there's I, I don't as far if they're playing their best volleyball and April and Alex are playing their best volleyball, there's still this huge separation. Uh, I, I had them and the Canadian, Canadians as one and one A, but really, I guess we're we're all wrong about that one too. Um, go ahead. Sorry, you're gonna say no, something. You're good. So, I mean, there's a couple things to unpack with that. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, that's the beauty of our sport. Any any given week, you know, um, it, it's weird to have teams like April and Alex. That's awesome to have teams that we should look at and respect and emulate for for their greatness. But you know, you think about the NBA, NFL, like. Like there are hundreds of players in these pro leagues, right? And and especially in the NBA right now. Like there's so much talent. I mean, the 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 top 40 guys are all, you know, all-star caliber to some extent. And, you know, what we're dealing with in our sport, we're, we're coming off of the pandemic. So even top level players, you know, everyone's been training. It's it's, a, it's been unorthodox. So I, I without knowing exactly what's going on, you know, some people have been able to train a little bit more than others. Um you know, at the same time, with only 16 teams making the draw, um, you're, you're going to have, I mean, think about it. you got players that are respectively top 50 in the country, and they're continuously going to need to to make make the qual, you know, make it out of the qualifier. Uh, the other thing with our sport and, and one of the challenges is, is the point system. It may, you know, that's what makes the, the Brazilians run in both Manhattan and Chicago that much more impressive to me. They had to play you know, an extra day of three matches and, and not, you know, again, they had to beat some good teams to get to the main draw. Um, right. And, that's and to be Fallon and Gina. Right. You know, and Gina's taken five seconds and Fallon's, you know, again, that's a team that, that took the gold medalist to three just a couple of weeks before. Um, that That's the beauty of competition is regardless of what we have on paper, any given day, like I always felt that, that my absolute best could beat, anyone's worse on any given day. doesn't mean it's going to happen normally. No, like in 2013, I played the bomb grins in May in uh, Minnesota and we lost 21, 11, 21, 10. Like we got smashed. Right. And two months later we play them at Wapaka and we beat them in three, like 99 out of a hundred times. I'm probably losing that match, but I always wanted as a player. And I always try to instill in my athletes. Like when you get on that court, regardless of, of what the odds are, like if luck is when preparation meets opportunity, you got to do your half of the deal. Yeah. So, you know, you may look and know this team has to slip up for me to really have a legitimate shot because they're they're physically and, and you know, more experienced and, and more talented. But, but man, like why, that's why we play, right? Is, is, is the opportunity to do it. And when you make it like that, and, and I think we're having more and more kids, you know, playing in college. I think even the college game has come so far in the last five years and we're just scratching the surface. I think on, on I, I still think, you know, that the, the junior scene, there's a lot of good players that can work on their athleticism. There's a lot of good athletes, but I, I think, you know, it, it's, 
we're battling indoor for a lot of the the really strong athletes, right? Um, I'm I'm working with some kids that are coming from indoor that are very high level indoor players, and their parents are saying like, you know, we we go to these beach tournaments and we know we're raw on beach, but we don't see kids with our athleticism that are touching over ten feet at a young age, you know, because at least in our region, it, you know, there are clubs that absolutely they they say beach is bad for kids. And the purpose of that is because they don't want their kids to get training elsewhere because they want the the players to be there and the revenue that comes with it. Um, not saying all of them, but some of them. Um, so I, I just think the stigma is starting to get broken despite those people's efforts. I think you're starting to see players that, that at a young age and parents that, that while there may be, you know, some more opportunity for scholarships at indoor at this point, I think a lot of them are liking the flexibility with with beach training that they may not get when they're on a club team and you have to commit seven months and be there at certain days and times. You know, with our program, our kids, you know, Kristen and a lot of the Olympians, they play three days a week, they live three days a week. And beach offers that flexibility in ways that sometimes I don't think we we always allow. So I think we've we've got we're just scratching the surface on the women's game. I think it's only gonna get deeper from here. And you know you hope that at some point we get our sport to a point where we get back to 24 or 32 team draws. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but I think the qualifiers are just as exciting sometimes for the people that really pay attention because there's the excitement of, of anyone can make it any given day. You're going to have teams that, that kind of come out of nowhere. You're going to have, you know, again, what, what an epic matchup to have Fallon and Gina versus the Brazilians for the play in, you know? Uh, and you have that energy for people of like that match. There's a lot at stake. You know, if you you lose, you get no money for it, and you're done. And if you win it, you at least get a little bit of security. You get money and to then show you up, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So so um, yeah, I, I think it's it. You know, if you want to talk about it, I I I'm going to write an article. Like there are things we need to address within. You know, this was it was good to get back to things in 2020 you're not going to be able to run these Wednesday, Thursday qualifiers. You're just not going to be able to get people that work full-time jobs. If you want to run eight to 10 stops to expect anyone that is not, that that has to make a living outside of volleyball to be able to travel. And, you know, again, you're, you're having to take Tuesday off to do travel at that point. Um, Well, what are your other choices? You, you shrink the qualifier, right? So, I mean, Atlantic city, dude, it's about time management. Atlantic city, they had a double elimination qualifier. All right. Winner's bracket was two out of three. Loser's bracket was one game to 28. In Atlantic City, where they don't have night lights, they ran a tight ship and they got it done. So, I mean, it's uh, uh, as far as what can be done and what can't be done. I don't want to hear the word can't until you until you, you make an honest an honest attempt. And every look, Atlantic City was the data. Everyone kept their promises. They, uh, they ran a tight ship. If the game was supposed to start at this time, it started earlier or it started on that time. And I was very, I mean, I didn't, but I was a non-believer coming in because I was there to call uh, court two. Like court one center court was Cameron Irwin. Um, and I was there to call court two. It was a hundred K purse. So they, so they brought in the talent uh, um, for court for, for center court. And they they asked me if it was okay, if I wanted to do court two by myself, I'm like, sure. I've been, I've, dude, I've been on an Island, <laughs> you know, for quite some time. I've been on my own Island for quite some time. So, but anyway, another whole nother story. That was great feedback for both of us. Um, but as far as two-day qualifiers, I say, why the hell not? You know, I mean, because uh, because again, mm-hmm. let's say we get to the point where we actually have eight to ten stops. Mm-hmm. You're going to. How are people that might only get one or two weeks of pay time off? How are people that have kids 
that they can't just lead their family. They You're have a decision to make people, then, don't they? What did you say? Then they have a decision to make. Do right. I mean, but, so, look, so, with, with, with being a professional comes sacrifice, just like theater performance. Right, you got to take time off to to rehearse. You, if you have to travel to do it to 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 do a set, um, maybe maybe theater or that film can compensate you, and maybe there's some kind of there's some kind of like you said, some kind of reimbursement or some kind of monetary gain just for showing up. But with ballets taking over and with with you know p- p- volleyball possibly going the wrong the right direction. They gotta. You, I mean, these guys gotta ask themselves: Do you want to be a fucking volleyball player? Do you? I mean, of course, uh, uh, um, it's gonna be inconvenient. Of course, you're gonna have to travel. Of course, there's gonna have to be a lot of things on your dime. But those, why? Why, of course? Huh? Why, why does it have to be inconvenient? Because why that's the reality. It? Until that changes, that's that's the reality. I'm right. not talking so, about what what so, could be. So I'm talking we, about what so, is now. So do we? So do we want to look at that and say, well, that's just the way it is? Or do we want to say, okay, we've not had a sustainable tour, like? We could look at it as a positive thing that Bally's took it, or we could look at it yet again, someone coming in who had the money. Mm-hmm. And 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 I'm thankful for Donald's son bringing this tour and and for the last 10 years giving us opportunity. But, and I've said, it's not a judgment, it's an observation. My concern Please. was when he leaves, is he going to leave a business model that's sustainable when your owner doesn't have a checkbook that can incur loss after loss? So, so point being is, again, I'm not, I understand this is how it's had to be. I'm not knocking the fact that it had to be the summer. What I'm telling you is, you know, what I know from other sports is what matters is personalities, stars, branding, right? Mm-hmm. And if you get to a point, we could talk about being professional, right? But it's like the money in the sport. There was just a, you know, Emily Day just posted for the FIVB talking about uh, first place purse five years ago was $57,000. Now it's down to 26, right? And someone asked like, well, wh- why do you think that is? And she said, well, you know, the, the promoters are not making the money back. And and from a business perspective, what my goal is, is to have a tour that actually generates revenue. And right now we don't have that, right? So I understand that what we have today is a tour that, you know, decent prize money, the people at the very, very top might be able to do this uh, full time. But we need personalities and players. And if you have people that come out of college and maybe they're a top 50 player in the country and they can work their way up, right? But they need to take a job that doesn't allow them in the summer. You're right. You know, they got to make a decision. But doesn't it hurt our sport to just be like, you know, hey, if you if you value having, you know, a steady income and a job, you know, you can't participate in all this. I, I think we should be saying, you know, I, this is this is so here's here's my idea because this is what I've been thinking for a while. Please, you know, what if what if what if the AVP picked some of the densest markets, and what if you know as much as I and don't get me wrong, you can have places like Chicago, you can have places like Manhattan, right? But what if they they built venues that could actually be used by that respective community in the summer, right? So let's say we built, you know, what what are they typically using right now? Eight. Eight courts tops, if that, you know, what, what they have in Chicago for the main draw, three courts. Yeah. So what if we built venues, right, that that could actually generate money when the tour is not in town, right? You yeah. have leagues there, you have clinics there, right? You have people overseeing that venue. And then uh, let, let's say we had five or six places. Let's say Florida, Texas, California, Ohio, because I think they deserve it. Chicago. And and I'm not trying to leave anyone. Don't don't anyone watching this. Don't get mad. At no, me. you're trying to make a point here. here. So five places. 
right? What if leading up to a draw on a weekend, each place, like football, right? Like, okay, this is the Saturday, Sunday. You're going to have a qualifier in each region and someone in each respective region gets a main draw. And then we don't have this draw. And the nice thing is then these qualifier teams are actually fresh for their first matches in the main draw, right? Mm -hmm. Think about the storylines you would have, right? And and you would, I'll tell you right off, I know what some people are going to say. Well, you know, you got all these people in California. Well, the teams that come out of certain regions, you know, they're not as strong. Great. Watch some of these people move to those regions that really want to make the draw, right? And what you're going to build is a couple things. One, you're going to take some of the operating costs of an event of down because instead of renting this huge beach bill, like you could own it. And it's making money for, you know, in our area, probably from May to September. Mm-hmm. Um, it's generating revenue as it's as it's going on, right? And you're also building who's going to actually attend these events when you have it, right? You're going to build whoever makes it from each region. You better believe that team is going to have the most people around their court, regardless of whether they have an actual shot of, of upending some of these giants, right? Yeah. You're going to build this region versus region, you know, that, that, that excitement that you feel when you go to Wrigley Field or Soldier Field. Again, we've talked about this. I don't go to watch baseball. I go because irrationally, I'm watching my team versus another team. And you feel that energy in the crowd. And that's when I think volleyball is most exciting. It's not when you have a bunch of volleyball diehards that are cheering for good volleyball. It's when you have a crowd that really is rooting for one side and not the other, right? And the current system is both difficult for the player and it's not building these storylines. So, you know, someone's where's, listening. Where's yeah. the logical connection between what you just suggested and 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 player cost efficiency of people who are trying to make it though, right? They got to come in an extra weekend. Isn't that more days for them? No, what I'm saying is, okay, so we've got these qualifiers, right? They're, they're local. So mm-hmm. Chicago people are going to stay in Chicago. Ohio people are going to stay in Ohio. Ah. Florida people are going to stay in Florida. Cali people are going to stay in Cali. And it's going to be like, and and all day, you're you're watching the results from each place to see who's going to get in for, you know, so, you know, what, what's the first event of the year? I, I always forget. It's usually Florida Huntington. One? Or Huntington? Okay. I mean, so, on a normal, before the world went to hell, so, it was so two, so two weeks, you know, before Huntington, we have a weekend where all these regions have their own qualifier and one team or two teams, whatever the numbers would be, you know, the winner of it, we don't pay cash. They get their flight, they get a hotel and they're going to be in the main draw. And then you don't have the qualifier the day before you're, you're basically qualifying for the event leading up to it. Then the next, I hundred percent agree. So, so I'm just, what I'm saying is, is it going to take work? Of course it's going to take work, but we have to recognize that, that, you know, it we're blazing a trail here. We're dealing with a sport that has not made money since the cigarette companies and the alcohol companies have not been using it as a way to to add to a already party environment. Well, like, let's introduce the elephant in the room. Our sport in the golden days was not popular because the old school rules were, were better and the new school rules were better. We're, we were popular because the beaches back then did not have the same rules on liquor and cigarette companies, like, like look at Ken Steffes' post, he lays it out. That's why the sport made money. And when those companies left, and I had another player on the tour that I had dinner once with, and he, and this is his story, he said, 
there was a tournament. I think it was Santa Monica. Um, obviously, people were drinking. There was a scuffle. Police tried to break it up. People started to not treat the you know police cr- properly. And from that point on, that changed the dynamic of of um, what was allowed on the beach. And and once certain things were restricted, the money that was supporting the tour was, was gone. Right? I mean, Ken said I was nineteen play my first final and the crowd's yelling at me to wrap it up so we can get to the wet t-shirt contest. Okay. It's 2021. <laughs> Our new demographic is 11 to 18 year old kids and their family, whether we want it or not, like the party scene, we can, we can hold on to the past and we're going to continue year to year to not have a model that's actually generating uh, the money we want. Right. And, and the big challenge on top of that is I feel we have two different, we have two different types of brass in the volleyball community that have goals. You've got the people running the juniors events that are making a butt ton of money. And they don't want to turn these kids into small money spectators that support pro players. They want these kids to pay more money. They want them to pay a hundred to 200 bucks or more sometimes to do these showcases. Right? So the problem is, is we've got the demographic right in front of us that could generate interest in the tour. But there are powers that be that aren't interested in that because they're making more money with them as players. And so we got to find a way to combine that. And my opinion is building actual locations that are sustainable when there's not a tour that are dedicated to volleyball. Right. You get your juniors revenue. Right. And then when they come into town, like your juniors that play at these locations Mm -hmm. are going to be, you know, run something for them instead of a qualifier run something for them, right? Maybe run something for them where you get to the last two teams and then in between matches, they can do their final on stadium court or something. There's so much we can do. The interest is there. Are the powers that be willing to put the grunt work in to build a, a foundation so that we, we can capitalize on this 11 to 18 U boom instead of competing with it. Cause right now we are, but that's not the question. The question is, are the powers that be are willing, are, are they willing to share that? Or are they willing to share that? I'll give an example. Coconut beach. Uh, it's a great example of, 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 of the possibility heightened level of success that, that having a permanent regional scene where the AVP can come in. They, they um, I was going to go into this whole soliloquy or spiel about how AVP America um, or AVP Next, whatever the hell you want to call it. I like AVP America because these aren't Next players anymore. These Next players are actually winning on the tour. So, so Coconut Beach has their own place. They do juniors year-round. They do, they, they do adult tournaments on the weekends. They had this magnificent AVP um, America thing in uh, the first week or whatever I, I was calling center court. And... I guess I'm, what I'm trying to say is I agree with you because I've seen it work with my own two eyes in just one place. And, and, I, and I have this imagination in my head like, what if they do that for Bradford Beach? Oh, I had Tomas Goldsmith on, on on the podcast last week. Cool dude, man. You know, kind you know, kind of cold. You know, I'm kind of warm, kind of cold. So we 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 hit it off. <laughs> he's um, very straight faced. Isn't? But he's he, very... I, I like him. I, I, he's an interesting guy. I, yeah. I said that on my podcast. I want the interesting and the interested. And he's, you know, he's look. I, I don't think I'm gonna get any more or less out of Phil than what I got out of Tomas. So, so um, Florida. Um, what Dave Palm's doing down there. Uh, um, all of these things support or correlation that support what you're, you're what you're proposing. Have have this indefinite thing, um, but 
I don't want. I mean, I guess the question is: Do you want the AVP or one 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 entity to have the gov- to be a governing body over all of these regions that shape throughout the year? Is what it, do I'm you think that's where the is, success comes from? Because that that that's that's the part that hasn't worked. Someone else is doing all the all the work, and it's supposed to be right. like a partnership. So, there there, sh- there should be some kind of equity. Coconut Beach was equity, you know. I mean, I wouldn't, have, I would, dude, I wouldn't have commentated center court. If that was run by the AVP, I wouldn't have been on center court. They would have brought in their own people. They had to, Sean and those guys literally had to fight for for me to go up there because they were sure. looking they were looking for best man for the job. And thank you for that, by the way. Uh, um, sorry, but but you're talking about pre existing locations. Right. What I'm saying is for, for the AVP, right? Go ahead. It, I, I'm I'm looking at it from their perspective, and what I'm trying to do is is minimize operating costs, mm-hmm. right? And to come into a place where you're 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 renting area for mm-hmm. one event, and you're going to build this six figure stadium court setup, right? Okay. The costs are astronomical, but if you can go like right now in Chicago, right? Like I know the iconic with the 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 um, no, we've, we've got the, the sky skyline. Sorry. I don't know why I struggle with that word. You know, people like playing in front of that, but let's say there's a, there's a location that doesn't have a venue of like coconut beach quality already. Right. But there's a market for it. Okay. If the AVP could one time come in, buy a prop piece of land that, that was cost effective, build it, Put someone in place locally to oversee it and generate revenue with it. And then the kind of one of the stipulate, hey, we're going to build it. We're going to take it. You know, we're going to work with Todd Napton or whoever, you know, they would get for, for the sand expert. We're going to build these state-of-the-art courts. We're going to build something that when we come in as a tour, it's going to be up to the, the power of what the players want. It's going to be great for spectating, right? There's a, like you can you can make it exactly what you want to do. And and you know, the trade-off is. Whoever is running it locally, like you're going to you know, pay a monthly rent for, for overseeing it, but you can run leagues at night. You could run juniors clinics. You can run weekend events, except for we're going to come in. You know, there's qualifiers on these dates and you mm-hmm. have to run the qualifiers on these dates. Right. And you have to run the main draw. Like these are the dates we're going to do it. Right. So your, your point is valid. Like when you have a pre-existing place that's already making money, they already have the community right but that's um, but but coconut's not an outlier you can go to new york and go to Ch- Ch- chelsea Piers and injure facility that's already set up uh, um there's already a league there so, all right so my uh, point, um, pier so my 25 point is, there's already a league there brooklyn bitch sorry the brooklyn bridge the pier pier six and this isn't even a volleyball heavy city okay they're in well sorry beach volleyball indoor indoor they're they're overweight uh, um sorry no so so that's my point I'm not saying go somewhere like in the backyard of someone who now immediately you're butting heads, mm-hmm. right? But, but what I'm saying is if you've got a place, there are places on the map, like even Chicago suburbs right now, mm-hmm. we've got a, one of the densest juniors volleyball populations in, in the country. Right. And in the suburbs, the amount of courts, it, the demand exceeds the supply. It's not even close, right? So do we have room for someone to come in? And still have the ability to do it? Yeah. You're never going to come in for a slice of the pie and not have people that look at that as a threat. It's going to happen, right? But again, what, what the root cause of what I'm trying to get down to is I want to see the AVP have a model that allows the players to have, if, if your players, if you don't have the money to give the players 
a steady income where they can truly dedicate a summer and not take a, a, a hit to their standard of living, um, then we need to make a model that that makes it more realistic for them and do so in a manner that doesn't just put you in the red. And so my thought is, is if there's all this challenge, like if we want to get structure and stability, why not? You know, and, and obviously we've seen the issues with, with beach permits and stuff like that. Why not do a one time? It's going to cost, you know, probably high seven, low eight figures. Put some places in different places in the country where you've got the community and build a system that that generates regional excitement. Right. And frankly, again, now you're building venues that honestly, even if the tour didn't come to town, if you build like it's going to be a lot of operating costs to build it at the beginning. But I know what it can generate when you actually have a bar and adult leagues. I mean, that's where the money's at their sport. It's Rex Six's leagues with alcohol. So why not leverage that? And and again, not only are you doing that, it's it's there's so many different things you can win on. You build storylines for these local regional main draws or, or regional qualifiers, right? And some people are not going to like it. They're going to say certain certain regions, you know, people get in like all these Cali people are sitting at home because they didn't make it because it's deeper. Well, goes to your original point that Cowboy are we gonna, are we are we a pro tour, a national pro tour or not? If we're a national pro tour, we can't expect to have nationwide storylines when 99% of our people live in a 25 mile radius. It, it's, we got to spread it out a little bit. And if, you know, Hey, if people want to live in the Mecca, that's fine. But, you know, I think it, it provides more locally. Yeah. The qualifier. There's more excitement. People are walking around looking for the local talent because they want to watch the locals yes. and see how they stack up against the best. And that's what moves the volleyball needle as far as far as coverage in that region is. I mean, Chicago is really exciting because of that. You, uh, I mean, you're going to, of course, you're going to have your outliers, right? You got Devin Berkey, John Schwengel that will like phase one. Uh, survive phase two survive they get into the main draw <laughs> you know what i'm saying and and john's actually going to come on the podcast next week next week uh, next wednesday um but a, a guy who tra- who travels full time sometimes he's in a draw sometimes he's whatever but he's dedicated he was in a, all a, you know he, he went to china did the under 21s didn't did all this and that so an example of a kid who's out there who's good for the sport um and I think your argument is you want the sport to love him as much as he he loves it, <laughs> and I think I, and and I think I get that argument, and and just, and, and you think as far as moving the volleyball needle, those things kind of take care of each other if they if they can do that. You know, an interesting conversation, and the truth is they may have been burnt out. Yeah. But would players like Stafford Slick and Summer Ross have retired as early as they did from the sport if it wasn't so hard to make it? Right. And, and again, it's, it's, you can sit there and say, Hey, that's the nature of the beast. Okay. I, I, I can see that that's what reality is today, but man, if I'm running a tour, like I want to create a model that puts anyone that might be marketable in a way that benefits our brand Mm -hmm. to, to have opportunity to play and, and to have a qualifier that requires minimum three days off and, and four, if you make the draw, right. Right. Um, it's, it's, you're, we're going to limit our talent pool. If, if we make it something where it's like, you can be a beach bum and travel and do the grind. And it's going to be like, yeah, it's exciting. You get to meet some of the top players in the world. I mean, the stories are, you know, some Mm -hmm. of the most fun times of my life were, were the qualifiers and the, the life around it. But 
got to pay your bills at the end of the day. And, and if the sport can't do it, like, I don't know. If I, if I was... But, Brian, I, I had, I, I'm, all I'm trying to say is I'm interrupting right now. But all I'm trying to say is they need to do a better job putting up the, pe- putting up the people who are keeping their promises. All right? Jeff Samuels. He didn't make the draw. Do you know what the hell he did? <laughs> he went to Motherload. He went to Colorado and won. <laughs> All right. And right now, Jeff Samuels with Isopure and being the spokesperson for uh, for uh, for Hyundai in Michigan and for Fort Lauderdale, Florida, is probably making just as much money as Taylor Crab, who's getting his eighteen hundred a month with with for the Oakley Shades. All right. So. That's that. That's a dude out there hard working. That's a dude out there who. Um, I think he's one partner away from being in the semifinals and the finals. I mean, the best partner he's ever had in his in his tour career was Michael Brunsting, for Christ's sakes, okay? And the AVP Americas, he played with Ricardo, all right? And, and that's diff- That's a different level, but he won with Ricardo. So I'm, I'm just trying to say that there has to be, and, and I think we're going to the same place. First, for me, first, there has to be a level of inc- inclusivity as far as like this this. Volleyball, we're, we're all united. We're all one one volleyball heart bullshit, okay? That's one. Second, if the AVP and, and, and the people who have not been inclusive uh, keep their promises, the players, like you said, the players who are supposed to move the needle, the strong personalities or, or the introverts who, who are so good, like like Phil or, or, or like Karch in the beginning where they don't, their their play their their play is so good their play does the talking okay so you're gonna have that combination of people but if we get to a point where they get where the players get what they want they gotta want what they got man they gotta I mean they you gotta be out there and be dope that's so going back circling back to the beginning what I was talking about was there's a reality and I know it's expensive but. I'm telling you, these days, these people are taking off. I, I live out here. I'm like, what are you up to today? Uh, why aren't you training? <laughs> they're not, dude, they're not training. <laughs> they're training the way they want to. They're training in ways that in ways that they think that works. That's not working, all right? I just had freaking Sharif, and I'm all over the place right now, from Qatar, talk about how he doesn't do training groups, <laughs> okay? If he wants a, scr- a scrimmage or if he trains groups, it's once a month. Uh, I, I, I think there has to be a direction uh, for the people who, that do move the needle and that can move the sport and put butts in seats and, and get sponsors, we need to find a way to love those people as much as they love it. And that was the point I was trying to make. The point you were trying to make is there's a reality and how do we, and how do we change that reality? And on the regional scene, I see it bits and pieces and I think you're, it will work if we had more coconut beach situations. Do you get what I'm saying? Kinda. Mm. <laughs> I was honest. all over like, the place. Like, Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it, it's well. I think I think we're on the same. Like the players have to brand themselves as well. Like they got to be proactive. Like they're gonna do themselves. Like that's you know, Sinjin took every promotional opportunity when they went to a venue. Right. But Sinjin took care of volleyball part. I'm not talking about that. We. No, we, I'm saying Sinjin would go to radio stations, like mm-hmm. local sport sporting goods stores. Uh-huh. Like he would. He would literally. You know, I don't remember when. Boston, but then he still had to be good, Brian. He still had to be good. He had to be good, right? These. I, I guess I, I like you're you're coming at me about the the talent of the players and the drive, and I, I'm I'm not following. We're, we're like we're having a discussion. I, I'm not on the same page with like what I'm not disagreeing that the players have to do a certain thing and they got to make sure that they're training and whatnot. I guess um, what I'm trying to say is if someone finally gives these players this opportunity. Be fucking ready. <laughs> be yeah. in the best shape of your life. Be 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 
come with but, that but, come with that champ stuff that okay. comes with the move the needle uh, but, the other but stuff. But let me but let me ask you, looking at the last twenty years, and and if a player is someone with a family and financial obligations, what? Uh, I'm just my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. What have we seen that gives them the confidence that it is going to change? And they do need to be ready for it. I'm not saying they shouldn't. Of course they should, right? That's on them if they're not. But if you're asking me, like, you know, if I had money and you asked me to invest in one of the major volleyball brands right now, I'm not doing it. No. As a business person, I, my heart wants to because I love, I want our sport to thrive. No, but your wife but would dropkick you. But, 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 well, I'm just saying, we just watched a billionaire for a decade maintain a tour. But... It, when his checkbook walked away, was it any that the purses have dro- dropped? The the um, size of the draws have dropped. The expectations on how long the qualifier players have to be there is growing. Um, you know, we we see these events that are you know at the grassroots. They're starting to to. You know, they, they ran a tournament with a $10,000 purse down in Coconut Beach and they had $16,000 worth of player fees coming in. It, it oh, I'm just saying as a player, why would you have that confidence of like, the, like why, why is Bally's going to take us to the promised land right now? And I, I hope I'm wrong. I've, I've wanted to be wrong for the last 10 years, but I don't, I don't think, I, I don't see it right now. I'm not saying I think Bally's isn't going to work out. I don't see what they're bringing that's changing the things that have, in my opinion, been what's held our sport with a blatant ceiling over it. Agreed. Well, I think what Bally's brings is at least the opportunity to to have more eyes on what on what the AVP and what beach volleyball is doing. And if people are like, oh, this might be interesting and this and that, I, I want to take a look. And if what they take a look at is like, you know, boring or like, uh, or, or like you got four players spending the entire first set doing a feeling out process, a team that they played over and over and over again. Uh, um, someone that's not playing the sport, even someone that is playing the sport, it's like, I already know what's going to happen here. I'm turning this off. I'm turning this on melts. That's what I was talking about. It's a combination. To me, it's a combination of everything. Uh, right. I mean, the AVP uh, every year always seems to start with good sponsors and then they're, then they're down the KT tape. <laughs> okay. So it's, uh, it's uh, maybe you, you were also on to something like, alcohol and cigarettes <laughs> let me tell you something having corona or what was it what was it back then uh, um miller. jose cuervo uh, um well, jose like cuervo miller miller had their fours series like like all of them have been involved yeah but so that's the question why did that work that worked because you had the personality because there was a, because there was a party scene at the play. beach mm-hmm. with volleyball as part of it right people didn't come to the beach specifically to watch the volleyball Mm-hmm. Is part like the diehards obviously you know wanted to know whether it was going to be Karch and Ken or Randy mm-hmm. and, and Sinjin that that year or that tournament. But I, again, it's it's I'm just looking at it saying okay. I, and again, I'm excited in the aspect. I agree. Bally's has the ability to get eyes on the sport. It, regardless of the play X's and O's, like again, the person what you need is the personalities. Like we need people to tune in to watch this team against that team. You watch UFC. Like people want to watch this person knock that person out. Like no mm-hmm. one just watches and says I want to watch a fight. Like the storylines. And we we get so fixated on the TV deals and the promote like but we don't actually get we're we're not 
generating something that gets people's heart in it. Right. Where week to week, I want to see how my player does against these players. Yeah. Right. And and you're right. You need a Chael Sonnen for an Anderson Silva. Right. And I just and I just think it'd be so cool. You know, start small. Mm-hmm. Start small. Mm-hmm. Four to six regions. Right. You could even do like. It, depending on the numbers, you could do like Saturday have these three, or Sunday have these three. You can, right, you can modify. But and, you, you and brought get up, people. Sorry, you brought up a great example um, for for my other my other my other viewers who are also UFC fans or mixed martial arts fans. Anderson Silva for a long time was the greatest fighter in the world. Chael Sonnen became a rival. Just called him out on every network, every this and that, or whatever. When they finally got to to fight. Chael Sonnen dominated four and a half rounds of the, of the, uh, of the five rounds. And with one minute, 31 seconds left, uh, a desperation, Anderson Silva slapped on a triangle choke. He was forced to tap out. The point of that, of what of me interrupting you is you got that personality, right? That personality put the butts in seats. This is the most important thing. He put his money where his mouth was. He delivered. And that's what I'm asking for volleyball players to do. You got personalities. You got people that can attract people. And when you when eyes are on you, it is up to you to fucking deliver. Make yeah, sure your I, P's and so, Q's are right. They so they have I, not been delivering, uh, um, Brian. But they but, have the, but they've got to survive. And I can't talk about California. So you no. got people that you see and they're doing the right thing. Yeah. Okay, so be it. What I'm telling you mm-hmm. is in our region, like it, it takes sacrifice to run a family, yep. work a job. And then travel to do even like the AVP next to get the points to have a better chance at the qualifiers, right? Mm -hmm. We're not, if you want people to show up, then give them the opportunity and the resources. That doesn't mean you don't get to have a family. You don't get to have a steady income. Like it's just in a pandemic. That's not how the world works. No, And we're being, we're being naive to that. If we're just holding like, we'll just show up. And they're sitting there like, well, okay, I'm showing up and I'm taking 30 thirds. And I'm a top 100 player in the country, and I don't have a dime of prize money to show for it. No, you're losing like, money. What, you're losing money. 30 30 is you're losing money. You're paying you're the play. You're losing money at 17s. You're paying the play. Yeah. You know? So, oh, look at that. Hold on. Is, isn't that sweet? Um, uh, <laughs> let's press record, maybe, huh? There you go. Let's go back to that camera that shows more of my my red eye. You're, I think we're we're going to the, we're going the same direction as we're going to shut the door and approach you in a minute. Um, you are basically saying give these guys who are thirty third an opportunity where they're not living on their knees. And I'm saying if Bally's is able to do that and say here here's some sponsorship money, here's some cheddar cheese to travel, here's the first six hundred for your hotel rooms. I, I what I'm saying is if that happens. God pray, man. Deliver, me, deliver your product, dude. Let, let me deliver tell you your right product. Now, if, if in my region, uh-huh, please. if, if, if a venue showed up that was partnered with the AVP, and we knew that we were going to have weekend qualifiers on certain dates, and the winner of that qualifier was going to get an auto bid into a main draw two weeks later. You don't think that would light a fire? You don't think that would give the incentive? Because wait, I don't Hell have to yeah. take all this vacation. You're going to get a better product from the players because you're giving them incentive and taking a lot of the risk away. Yes. And that's my point. It's like, I'm just telling you, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people probably go about it in a, you know, they don't want to get too emotionally involved because when you get that emotionally involved and you don't get the opportunity, you're going to destroy your psyche. You're going to say, was, you're going to look back and say, 
I love volleyball, but I I did all that time. And now I'm playing catch up with my life. I mean, there's stories about volleyball players that maxed out credit cards, right? Yeah. To like do the travel, live the life, be the pro player. And they're going to be 40 years old and have nothing to show for. It. And now they get a hole they got to dig themselves out of. So I, again, I'm not saying you have to give, right? That's what I'm saying with the AVP. Create something that can generate money for the brand beyond the tournaments. Agreed. Now, again, I know what places can make with yep. sixes leagues and juniors training. Mm-hmm. So make venues and locations that don't have it. You're helping that community. You're building your fan base. You're building better opportunities for the players in those in those regions. Mm-hmm. And and you're gonna ha- again the the you want to talk about getting viewership. Well, yeah. imagine if they structured you know with the time zone changes. Okay, hey Saturday night. I know at 4 p.m. Central time, I've got the East Coast final at 6 p.m. You know, we can make it something where we start building. Yeah, definitely. You know, but it has to be. But do you see what I was getting at with inclusiveness? I'll give you this podcast alone. My viewership, because I have, I finally know how to do my own analytics. Because you know, I'm talking to agents right now, and they're like, "What are your analytics?" And like, my viewership is basically three to one outside of where I live. I live in Hermosa Beach, California. My viewership of people that, that are not in this region, the people that view, view and watch this podcast, three to one outside, outside of the region because the guys that live here, I mean, they like me. They, they ain't going to listen. They, they, they're not, I mean, a lot of them aren't watching us. They don't care much I for think, that. I just uh, think it means uh, that you're worldwide. And, and yeah. again, you got people that watch you around. The, I mean, if anything, you could look at that saying, well, people aren't watching. What I would say is, well, you got a quarter of your yes. fan base from one area. I would argue that that, that says a lot that's, of people that's are a watching. Win. Yeah, that's a win. So. But I think, do you, don't you think that somehow we need to create people who transcend the sport like in the last 30 years the names that transcend volleyball is misty may kerry walsh and karch karai people when i say transcend uh for the people listening brian knows already and he's shaking his head but we can, right we got to educate the people that don't know what the hell i'm talking about because more often than not people are like i don't know what the hell jason's talking about if um, i talk to my people parents if you don't play the do. sport and, and don't watch the sport know who you are that's transcendence if i don't watch wrestling and i know who hulk hogan is that man's trends name transcends the sport that's what i'm talking about michael jordan right who uh, kids who aren't even born yet know who he is transcends the sport <laughs> and, I think and, I, and we need volleyball we need another one or two names that that can that can carry that for us we need volleyball players that that are known in our sport before we get to that point like, that's my point yeah. is like right now, like I got a couple kids. I had a kid that, that or two sisters that went downtown. They ran into Muno and okay. she was blown away that she, they knew who she was on the street. Right. They, it wasn't the venue. It was on the Magnificent Mile. Right. Mm-hmm. That like most juniors couldn't take players in a lineup and tell you who's who. Right. right? Yeah. So like one step at a time. And the first step is. We have to build the storylines within our sport, right? Yeah. So that people that are are fans in our sport, even moderate to casual fans, you know, hey, this tour is coming to town. And my friend that doesn't have anything going with you, you're going to want to go here. And they can generate the excitement because they understand it. And right now what I'm telling you is our largest demographic of potential viewers for our pro tour, it's not debatable. It's 11 to 18 and their families. It's it's. You can, people can disagree with it, 
cite your sources because that that's where the big, we have 450,000 high school girls playing volleyball and it's growing by the thousands every year. hundred percent. So, so what are we doing to get those people to want to tune in and engage and, and, you know, transcend the tour itself locally? Like how do we get these players to be common names with kids that love the sport? Right. So that they can look up to them so that they can want to go see them. Frankly, we're, we're, where's the apparel? Why do we not have custom tanks and jerseys for players and selling that and, Why and building I, branding with that? Right. Why am I wearing a Marymount Manhattan t-shirt? <laughs> no. So I'm just saying like, you, you know, like, you know, the crabs have their, their shorts and that's cool dude. like, but we should be doing that on a larger scale. Yeah. Right. Um, well, the crabs, I, to, I just, to their credit, they, think, they, they, yeah. they built their own brand. Like Evan Corey right now, right, but, like Blue but, Nose Athletics, right? Which is brilliant. I, I love the fact that he found something is a blue nose, but that's like in a year or two, people that pay attention to beach volleyball are going to know exactly what that means, right? We can sit here, if I was running the tour, and say the players need to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, it, what I was hoping Donald Sun would do, because I, I knew when when – he took over and the NBL and the AVP were, were still kind of buttonheads, right? He, he, it wasn't a very well-kept secret that he paid the top eight players per gender a salary to, to be exclusive to their tour. Right. And I love that, but he could have done more with it. Hey, I'm going to pay you this stipend. And on top of that, I'm going to add, you know, a, an extra day. I'm going to add hotel. And you're going to go to these tour stops. And we're going we're gonna to take care of it. Like, you're going to get off the plane. You're going to get in this car. We're going to take you to this club and you're going to go speak to this club, right? Like there's so much more we could have done. Like if the players aren't doing it, we could sit here and say, well, the players need to be more involved. Or if I was running the show and I had that type of money and I was paying that type of money, mm-hmm. you know, give them a little incentive, but but show the players how to, to be more proactive. And if the players don't, then the next one up, because I guarantee you that there if player is. number seven or eight are like, hungry I don't enough. want to do that. They're hungry and all enough. of a sudden, number nine and 10 step up and do it. And all of a sudden, they're like, well, that player is getting money I am not getting. And I could, all I had to do was talk to some kids and hand out some some free tickets. Mm-hmm. Like, like, let's stop pointing fingers at one or the other mm-hmm. and say, okay. And, and I'm going to put the onus on the group with the checkbook. Because if these players aren't doing it on their own, what they're telling you is, you're not providing a product that has that incentive and whether people think that's fair or not. Well, again, I, I'm just going from experience. I watch what these players do. I watch the sacrifices they make in their lives. I watch in Chicago, how we're getting up at 6am or, or going, you know, at 6am because they got to work a job. And at night, all the courts outside are either buggy or have adult leagues, right? right. Like players are doing everything they can yeah. to, to make it work. And it's not a glorious life. No. And and I'm not saying you need to, to pamper them. But let's. But let's, you're speaking for a large demographic. I totally agree with you. Uh, look, I'm from New York, and I know how it feels to only be able to actually play beach volleyball, like for 
three months, four, four months out of the year, which really means three. Um, you know, Chelsea Piers, expensive as hell. It's an indoor facility, but you know, for a price. So, I mean, people are looking for military discounts, for Christ's sakes, and didn't even serve in the military. Um, I get you. And, and, and I did, cause I didn't get you before, cause I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in the place where they're, they have an opportunity to train 12 months out of the year. The courts are available. Of, uh, of the league's playing here one night. Oh, we got like nine courts over here. So for me, I, I wasn't giving a lot of the players the, uh, the same pass that that I'm not saying you're giving them a pass either, but the level of understanding. I'm so I'm five years removed from that. So that was just a great. I'm, I'm God. I felt like I wasted 20 minutes of our time like talking about that. No, when Brian was trying we, to Brian was trying to get to a point here. Sorry, go ahead. But we had we had to get there, right? Like that's. Yeah. Look, I know in 2021, everyone wants things to be in a meme or a mm-hmm. tweet. Mm-hmm. Things of this, like, we're, we're literally talking about how do you fix a national volleyball tour? Mm-hmm. You can't, we, we, all the things you said were valid, right? We have to, we have to unpeel the layers. So, like, I don't think it's a waste of time. I think we have to consider all those perspectives mm-hmm. to get to that point because we couldn't get there otherwise. So, I, I, I'm all for, you know, it, we we have that's how people that come from different perspectives not even dis, I don't think we differed on what we believe but you come from an area that's much different than than mine yeah. and the only way for us to get to that point is for you to give me a little understanding of okay well he's seeing this with players in his area and that makes sense on why he felt the way he did mm-hmm. and I can provide on like well this is what it's like in mine so it's not like well you're wrong and I'm right it's, it's we got that mutual understanding so no I I think I, I really enjoyed that conversation. That's I don't know. A, if, how, a, no, but it's a super it, but. necessary conversation because of the demographic of people that listen to this. Convert that that listen to this. Um, look, the guys out here, then they don't understand what what your plight was and the plight of your players. I mean, until you say that, like. Uh, Twelve months out of the year versus four months out of the year. Come, come on, right? And I mean, the real question is why those guys who only get to practice on the beach four months out of the year are housing housing you guys who are who are playing, right? Come on, they don't even have a they don't even have a beach. Uh, but, but we got indoor courts, you know. We get we got the ability to take care of our bodies. We got the you know. You guys, the, are the, sent- the greats, the greats. You but know, do you, you but, are you, but are you not sending a message that the rest of the world is right? The Norwegians, right? They won the Olympic gold medal. They don't even have a tan. <laughs> they don't even have a tan. All right. They can ball. Qatar, look, it's hot out there, almost hot to a fault, but they're not out there with, with big, big ass training groups and this and that. Man, dude, that's an episode you got to listen to. Not, not, not just uh, because of, because he's, 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 this really fun personality. We had a great conversation about back row defense transition with, with Ahmed, right? Cause like you were talking about, like, uh, like this guy, on the world scene should be blown up right now. He is the top, he is he is a top right now as far as top five defenders, I put him number two only behind Christian Serum. All right. You got Lupo, you got Guto, Alvaro, and Bruno, everyone from Brazil. You got um I'm, I'm, and I'm name dropping here. Somewhere in, the, in between five and ten, you got Taylor Crab. Uh, a lot of people consider and I, and I sound like I'm disrespecting Taylor because I said this before. I don't consider him top five. I consider him top ten because it's disrespectful to even put him in the same realm uh, uh, of someone as as, as I met in Christian Storm. You can't. You, he's good, but you can't. You can't. You can't do it yet. So, um, so how's that for outing people? Uh, like, I don't give a fuck, but, um, I, I mean, think, it's all at yeah. the end of the day, we're, we're sitting in our chairs, you know, yeah. I'm not, we can, we can sit and say, based on what we've watched, right? Like you can say, yeah. are we experts? Watched, this is why I feel. Are we experts the, though? Yes, we are. 
We need to stop act, but, act, acting like we're we're laymans here. No, well, we're, but, we are fucking experts. You right, you but, you you learn the game, you mastered it, you teach it. You're an expert. But, if, but but I will never sit here, right? I might have my opinion. Like, let's say I even agree with that. Um, on that, it it's I would never. If someone felt, let's say I felt Taylor Crabb was a top five defender in the world, right? Yep. You and I could discuss it. Sure. And at no point would I look at what I've seen and what I feel and mm-hmm. say, you know, I'm an expert, so I believe this and you're wrong. Right. No. That's one of the things I hate about no. ESPN. I no. Hate, Ex- I hate when when we sit and we 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 you know, I'm all for talking about I like this world class defender more than this other world class defender sure. because of these things. But but you know, Taylor Crabb can absolutely that on any given baller. day beat one of those two people you mentioned. Like yes. we have to be aware of that, right? So sorry. My point my point is, right? If they played and and Taylor and his partner beat them, right? Like I I couldn't sit there and just be like, you're an idiot for your take on on the fact that they're no. better, right? And frankly, even if they didn't, you you could say, hey, like they're clearly their their accolades they've gone further. But anytime we deal with 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 the greats and we we split hairs, like they're on the world tour, like when you're the best ten, the fact that you're in the best ten in the world, right? Uh-huh. Like I don't think the slight is saying, well, I think they're only six through ten. I think the slight to us our, ourselves is to sit here and act like there's an objective way to just say like it's just like let's appreciate greatness like brian you know, if the those- operative word here in this conversation is slight we just need to omit that word me saying top t- taylor crab is a top 10 defender and not top five is not a slap in the face to him and i understand a lot of people might take it that way because only second second to only nba nba players volleyball players are the most sensitive fucking cats you ever met in your life it's not a slap in the face to say that okay and as far as opinions are concerned there are opinions by expert that might, some people might carry some weight but but like you said it doesn't mean we're right doesn't mean we're right. Look, I, I could say the Bulls, the Chicago Bulls in 96 are going to win every game and be wrong 10 out of the... Uh, so I'm going to be right 72 times and wrong 10 times. All right? Remember that championship season? Uh, or or, or the did, Golden man. State Warriors, right? I, I'm, I could be it. wrong. I, I'm going to be wrong nine times and, and right 73 times. It, it doesn't mean I'm always right. I, I just... I, as, as someone who watches the sport, who played the sport, who coaches the sport, who commentates on the sport, who teaches the sport, we we don't give us ourselves enough credit to have opinions because we're always scared about what little... What some of those sensitive cat's gonna think about that just stop it's, man it's not, miss no, me on that one. it's not about <laughs> i'm worried about sensitivity of these players it's i'm sitting here and okay so i can sit here and say i've, I've coached for 17 years coach division one played at a certain level they're the ones in the arena and i just you know goes back to that that roosevelt quote like have but have I, you not been the arena in the arena i have but which is why i would never go as far as to watch anyone in real time. Right. And, and be critical. I could say, you know, I think if this player added this to their game or did this differently, that I think it would take them to a higher level. Okay. Um, but, but again, what my, what my point is, and I'm not saying this is what you were doing. I just you kind of, you hit something and it hit that trigger. Like I hate that, you know, I live in Chicago, right? Yep. Mitch Trubisky didn't live up to other people's expectations. Like, that's the way I look at it, right? They could have had Mahomes. Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> okay, but here's the deal. 
how many teams pass on Mahomes that looking back on it wouldn't have if they knew what they like benefit of hindsight. My point is, I I I don't like in sports when we it, it's fun to discuss the pros and cons of different players, right? But but when we have these hard takes, when I watch Stephen A. and Max go at it, and it's like, oh, you're you're it's preposterous that you would think one thing, and you know as well as I do that that it's to get people interested in it, right? Yes, and that, and that's all well and good, but but again, maybe I'm over, I maybe I'm sensitive to it because I'm watching my kids and how much they fear mistakes uh-huh. and how much they fear, you know, every mistake is an opportunity to learn something, especially in our sport, right? Like basketball, football, I could know everything I need to know about a mechanic. If I've got a guy that has a physicality that I can't match, there's nothing I could do. Mm-hmm. Volleyball, when you don't get the result you want, the ball hit point A, you hit it at point B. You know, or you want to hit at point A, it hit point B. You were supposed to be in spot A, you were in spot B, right? Like there's always a lesson. And I get so many kids that I think it, it's, we, we, they watch these 24 seven networks that literally like, you know, think about Giannis and what's happened when he won that championship. Well, if Kevin Durant has a size 14 shoe instead of a size 17 shoe, the, the storyline is about how the Bucks were a failure and that they they need to break the team up, right? Yeah, that three-pointer, we, that we, was a we, two, right? For reminding our audience. Don't, mm-hmm. We don't objectively recognize how small the margin is that can separate Giannis, the world champion, the next great, the buck that did the right thing by staying, and and this much, and and those same news pundits are going to uh-huh. sit there and say we got to blow this team up. He should have left. Blah 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 blah. Right? That's crazy. And and, and but so, that's outside of the scope of the sport. That, that's not right, what but, I was but doing. So, so I'm saying, in, but, but I'm even saying in our sport, right? And again, we're coming off. There's so many factors that go with it. You know, again, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that I, if you said, hey, pick one defender, yeah, it's Sorm. No doubt about it. I love Sharif and Ahmed, but I, I just think, and, and we love us some Taylor. Crab. I wish, I wish we should, I wish we could spend more time talking about just, just specifically why we like, you know, versus, why do you, what, what are the skills that one does at one or two that separate them from five? Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh. And instead we make it about the, and, and we, we talk about the players and regardless of, of their, I'm just saying like, Sometimes people come and you say, well, I, you know, maybe I feel the other way. Well, oh, yeah. how do you feel that way? Right. We, we make it emotional instead of just like, OK, well, what, what are the things you see that make you feel that way? And that's where do the you, like really fun conversation. Yeah. Are, do you, you know, know what they have in common? Do you know what Ahmed and Taylor Crabb have in common? When um, they get I mean, a, it's a dig, peripheral division, when they get a dig. I'm at the edge of my seat because I in my heart of hearts, I know a kill's going to follow. <laughs> Every time they get a dig, and this is I, I, I've I've gotten this ten times with Taylor, then because the sample size is bigger, I get to watch Taylor more than I get to watch Ahmed. Um, but every time those two, there's one thing they have in common. Every time they get a dig, you're at the edge of your seat because you know a kill's gonna happen. It's just about how is he gonna cut over? Is he just, is his eyes gonna get big because he sees deep, deep corner hit? You know, like Manhattan Beach match point is up on Phil and Nick uh, 2018, uh, or or Ahmed like the sets behind his head. Is he gonna adjust or is, it, or is he still gonna hit the shit out of it cross court? The one thing that that just makes them too as entertaining is hell to watch. Uh, uh, if I had to just pick one thing, and this is just bringing it back to the positive positive thing when they get when one of those guys get a dig i'm like this and then you're like 
and then it's like yes <laughs> that's your reaction dig you wait and then boom kill so but but getting back to what i was saying you will rarely hear me criticize or critique someone outside of the scope of volleyball right saying someone quit i'm not gonna i don't do that I've only said that once, and I and I and I, and I gotta find that guy and apologize. I thought, uh, uh, or or this player doesn't want in. This player wants out. This he doesn't even want in that play. I've done that once, and that was 2016 with um Aaron Russell. I'm gonna find him. I'm um I'm gonna apologize. It's just me for doing this a long time, like Bill Parcell style. You are what to me. You are what your what your record says you are, but that's not always true. I mean, I, I'm I can go Cold World scenario. Where it's per where the, someone takes it personally, or like you said, you can have constructive, fair criticism. Um, not necessarily what someone's not doing, but like you said, something positive, positive mindset. Because we're gonna get into that with club positive, old school versus new school coaching. Um, um, what I'd like, but what I but what what I think could be a little bit better, right? That's always that's forward thinking instead of. You know, you shank that pass. You should just go live in a fucking log cabin. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. So I, I'm I'm loud. I'm provocative. But very, very rarely do you see me criticize volleyball players outside of the scope of volleyball. And anytime they, anytime they can't handle that, come see me. Let's. I'll apologize if I think I'm wrong and I won't if I won't, <laughs> you know, find another job. If you, if you, if you know, I mean, this isn't a volley talk conversation. All, everything we talked about is fair game. And you, you're right. You, by the way, you are popular on that show on, on volley talk right now. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> yes. You, I'm, you and Travis Mirwitter. <laughs> I haven't been on volley talk in years, man. And, I, and I, back then that was more indoor stuff. I was yeah. doing like interviews. I was a D3 player interviewing other mm. D3 players talking about like the next coming up and stuff like that so so question um and maybe we'll explore it pro later but right now i thought we've like you said we've oversaturated on that we really wanted to talk about club i had sarah stratton had sarah stratton on the podcast sarah stratton a former olympian um or just olympian i guess just like mr president right um <laughs> 2000 olympian got to host australia um right now she 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 played in the avp a little bit she won a chip one time with um uh, um, handily, and they beat Lisa Arce and, and Holly McPeak in Michigan. Actually, I, cool. I forgot. I forgot the uh, the city, but um, that that was Muskegon, probably. Yes, yes, that was two thousand one. So basically, when the AVP went under, she started redirecting her energies on um, parent coaching, teaching p people how to be pa better parents, and then it translated into sports, where she was like sp doing sports. Um, Sports psychological work. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm messing with the phrase, of course, with the nomenclature for um, some of the local college teams. I think UCLA for a little bit. But right now, what she's doing is she's doing like positive reinforcement for kids in sports and, and parents had to deal with kids in sports. And she, she's got her own little company, her own little website. And we had a nice little debate about um, punishment and consequence versus positive reinforcement. All right? Like... To me, like if I'll have, have to listen to that one. That's yeah. interesting. She is, yeah. Look, if you know, I talk a lot of shit, and you're like, "Ah, oh, Jade is a waste of my time." I got, I got 24 hours in a day, and I choose to Never do something else. <laughs> and then, no, but there's no. I'm gonna be real. There's and, and there's entertainers, there's infectious disease people, and there's some there's some people I just do a watch party with, like Greg Faulkner. But this. This is your wheelhouse, man, because she's, in fact, you should have her on. You, I mean, we should do a three-way, but but um, 
that came out wrong. But um, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> it took an hour. Uh, um, so we had a, an argument, like the Twix commercial. A, I just need to. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we oh my god! But um, we had a great discussion about why she's not into punishment or consequence for drills. Like there are some drills where I'm like the winners, the winners have to do set ups, the losers have to do suicides and this and that. And I just wanted your thoughts about when you would imply consequence on a team if it's applicable as far as drills are concerned or as far as um, effort is concerned um, and your thoughts on that. You know, I mean, this is just my take on it. I coach 11 to 18 year olds primarily, right? And even when I coach the adults, like they're paying me for their individual development. I don't care. They like the worst case scenario that happens, you know, remember, I don't run a seven month program. My kids sign up lesson to lesson. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about beach is, um, I think it's hard when you coach indoor and you got a team for seven months, you're going to have lulls where these kids burn out, especially when they're playing high school on top of that. So realistically, most of these kids are going 51 weeks a year, right? Kids are getting more and more and more commitments uh, and less breaks. Sports science says that we're doing it wrong. It's not a matter of opinion here. They should at minimum take four months off from a respective sport, both for their biomechanics so that, they don't have the same impact on their joints. Um, they, they can cross train. They can play other sports, right? So we're doing it wrong. High schools look at clubs and they're like, that, that's not on us. Like we have four months. Clubs are like, hey, we're only doing our season. We're, we're, we're pretending like we don't understand exactly what we're doing, right? Um, so, so I liked beach because it gave me the opportunity to avoid that. Now, you know, if I coached uh, a college team, then, then there are expectations because those girls took a slot that a lot of people wanted, right? There's, there's, they've committed to a team that's bigger than them. And, and, um, you know, they, they're, they, they've got to perform, right? So at that level, you know, you, you have to have things in place. Uh, I was never a big punishment person just because I felt, you know, fear. You know, don't get me wrong. John Wooden, I was a big John Wooden guy. I'm not naive to the fact that Bobby Knight won championships as well, right? There's, there's more than one way to do it. But I think as we get a little more, aware of the science and the psychology of things, uh, especially in our sport um, with, with I think our sport, we don't talk about how mentally challenged. I know you talked about the sensitivity. I think our sport requires that individual sport resiliency that you see in like golf and tennis where there's no one else to blame. Right. Well, in beach doubles, you know, you're two persons. So when you make a mistake, you feel like Did I leave, let my teammate down. Did I let my coach down. Did I let my parents down. Right. Um, it's not like, you know, soccer is a very popular sport for little kids. No disrespect to people that like soccer, but like you have 24 year olds just do the beehive as they call it, just chasing a ball around and whiffing. And it's just like, like it doesn't be mean because they're kids, but it's garbage soccer, but the kids are having a great time, right? The play doesn't stop when a kid whiffs on the ball. Like they're running around. The parents think it's adorable. Well, volleyball, you know, most people's first experience with volleyball, all right, serve the ball over the net. Oh, almost made it. All right, everyone, let's stop for 30, 60 seconds. Everyone rotate. All right, serve the ball. Oh, it's an ace and miss serve fest, right? And and for a lot of these kids that start the sport in sixth to eighth grade, and most of their coaches, including I was in this situation, are volunteer parents, 
that don't know the sport and they're just getting screamed at, right? Our, our kids, I, I had a seventh grader. One day we were having to practice as one of their third or fourth practice. We're making mistakes and, and we're hesitating. And I'm looking at my kids and I'm like, I'm, I'm not a yeller. I'm just like, hey, I don't care if you shank the next 10 balls. What I want is for you to go full speed so that I don't have to look at you and say, you just got to go for it, right? They're not responding. So we sit in the sand. And, uh, and, and instead of punishing them, I, I sit and say, girls, what's going on, right? Like, all I'm asking is your best effort. Why don't you want to do that? And I had this 12-year-old look at me. And, and I mean, almost verbatim, this is what she said. I, I, I'll, I'm sure I'm messing up the words, but I'll never forget this, the, the message. She said, Brian, or coach, like, I hear what you're saying, and I know you haven't yelled at us, but everywhere else I've played, when I make a mistake, you know, I've usually been either screamed at or I just get put on the side. And here's the key. This is the last thing she said. And they don't tell me how to fix it, right? Yeah. As a coach, uh, there's a couple of hats I wear. The first thing is I'm there to help kids find something in themselves that they either don't see in themselves or they want and they don't know how to get there, right? Maybe they have the drive, but they don't have the tools. Um, the second thing I'm there to do is to help them deal with the adversity. And and when when kids are, are making every, you know, a lot of times it looks like kids aren't going for the ball and serve receive. And I can't speak for you. I have had at least 50 kids in the last year. And I asked them, what, what do you watch when you're in serve receive? How do you de- determine where the ball is depth? you know, uh, how far it's going to go angles. And every single kid has been taught the wrong thing that comes to me. Just be honest. Oh, I watched the server's arm, the shoulder. They're not watching the height. They're not watching the speed of the ball. And that's what they're passing. So a lot of times these parents are looking at these kids and like, ugh, like these kids just don't, I can't get them to move. Why don't they move? Well, that ball's got 60 feet. And a lot of these kids, if they haven't been taught, if they're watching the arm of the hitter server and the serve goes off the arm and they're tracking the ball 15 feet in its, they're not moving because they don't have the tools to understand where they're supposed to move and why. And once you actually start sitting with these kids and you explain, like, I'll have them sit there. I'll serve three short, three deep. Watch the height and watch the speed of the ball, right? And all of a sudden they're like, oh. All of a sudden the kids are moving more because they have the tools, Right. If I have a kid that isn't giving their best effort, I got to tell you, uh, doesn't happen often. But when I do, it's usually a reason. And it's not that they're bad kids. It's not that they're lazy. Kids are amazing. A lot of kids are dealing with stuff that we have no idea about. And, you know, trigger warning for people that we're going to toss some D stuff. I've had players that have tried to take their own life. I've had players that have been sexually abused. I've had players, you know, everything in between. These kids... We get them for four to eight hours a week and you don't know what they're dealing with outside of it. And sometimes those things are heavy enough that it's going to affect their play on the court. Right? So we can do one of two things. I can punish the kid for playing a sport. That's very imperfect where you miss the ball an inch. It goes a mile, which could can, quite possibly be their escapism, but go ahead. That, exactly. Right. Or I can destroy this kid who came into practice already broken and, and just make them feel like they're worthless. Um, or, or that they're not good enough, right? If I got a kid that's showing up that doesn't love the sport, and the reason we don't have the effort is because they don't want to do this, I don't like the fact, like, I'll look at a kid and say, do you want to do this? And if, if they say yes, and I'm like, okay, well, here's the deal. The only two rules I have is best effort and respect your peers, including the coach. That's the two rules. 
if they say yes and then they don't give it, I'll talk to the parents and say, look, I think your kid's a bad kid, but this what's is going not on? what but they what's want going to do. On? But what's going well, on the, off the court? It appears they don't. And it's amazing how usually that insight explains a, a genuine and, and fair reason on what the issue is, right? And and if you coach 11 to 18-year-olds, and I don't care how good your club, if you coach kids, even if you're for a prestigious club, you should be able to be successful without using them as cogs in the machine, right? And I got a player that that that's looking into beach who's very good at indoor, and the parent recognizes, you know, they were on one of the best teams in the country for their age group, but they were a high-level athlete when they were younger, and they could recognize, you know, the team was doing well for a while, but I saw kids that literally were playing worse in June than they were in February. Your job coaching 11 to 18-year-olds, right, is, is to develop human beings. That's my opinion on it, right? If you want to coach for, for wins and losses, go coach pros, go coach, coach college. Yeah. But if you're coaching kids and 94% of them are not going to play in college, and even the ones that do, like the kids that are my, my most successful kids, it's not because I beat them to greatness. It's not because I push. You don't have to push the greats. The kids that that win a, win a, a scrimmage and come back after and they want to know what they could have done better. The kids that that you're literally telling them you got to play a little less because you're going to burn yourself out. But I want you in the weight room. I want you watching film. I want you know what I mean. Like the kids that are going to be the greats, they they got that fire, right? I'm not here to coach effort. And if a kid doesn't want to do it, I, I, one last story. Uh, I I had a girl at, when I did coach indoor, 16 years old, had Division one athleticism, had all the talent, um, hated the sport. You could tell. And it's tough for these parents because the parents sees this girl and she's got this natural ability. She, she's, she, she's cruise controlling through and she's beating a lot of her peers. Right. And you want to nurture your kid's talent because in your mind, if I nurture it, right, it's going to give her the highest, you know, ability of what she could accomplish. Right. And this mom is just, Every single time she comes in, she's basically selling how bad her kid wants it, right? Because she deep down, I know, knows. She can see when she's on the court. She sees that I see that her kid just doesn't care, doesn't love it. It's not a knock. It's the truth. Look, there are things that my friends love to do. Kristen is an incredible artist, and I love her art. Like, she does great. I don't want to draw. I have no interest in it, right? Um, It's not about good or bad. It's about compatibility with what people's drives them, right? So finally, after like a month of just like, this kid is not going to to see this through. She doesn't love it. She doesn't want to do this. I'm giving her the opportunity. She, she's This isn't her sport. And the mom keeps coming in. Finally, one day she she's telling me about how much her daughter loves, you know, she comes home and she says how much she loves it. And she's lying. Like, it's not a matter of it. She's lying. This kid is trudging out. Like she's running out of practice because she's trudging in. Right. And I'm like, you know, if, if your daughter had half the love of the sport that you sell to me, you know, deep down, you wouldn't be talking to me about it. And here's the truth of the matter. It's a lot cheaper and it's a lot easier as a high school student to find what she loves. Right. Might not be viable. Put her in other sports if you think it's about athletics. Put her in other, like, I, when I guide kids to college, right, athlete or not, we talk, what, what do you love? What, what do you, what do you, what's your passions, right? Because the truth is, is I was 5'5", five, five, 95 pounds in the size 12 shoe when I, when I played volleyball going into high school. 
I stunk at volleyball. It was my worst sport of all my sports. Baseball, I was very naturally talented. My dad played baseball. I was always doing well as a young kid. And I just didn't want to do it more than one year at a time. I kept quitting. And, and I thank my dad for not forcing me to play baseball and allowing me to follow my passion versus my talent because it took years. But I got a giant indoor sand beach facility. I met my soulmate through the sport. Thousands of people I've met through the sport, right? Um, Dude, we met each other. That wouldn't have been possible. Absolutely right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, you know, we, we actually had lunch with, uh, we, we last weekend we went and met these people. One's from Switzerland, the other's from Argentina. They're a couple. They moved to, we met because the, the female contacted us because she moved to the area. She loved volleyball, right? But we got to know as people. She's just an incredible person, right? right. It, it I, I think, you know, this is a long answer for what your original question is. We should coach kids. We should figure out what their goals are. And then based on those goals, we, sh we should be creating the program that, that enables them. And they got to put the work in, right? So if I get a girl that says she wants to play in college and she's only showing up one or two days a week and she's looking at her peers passing her, then we're going to have a conversation. But based on her goals, right? And that's, and that's, look, that's a challenge for club. That's a challenge. I recognize the difficulty because you got to have position players. That's why I left it. You got to have position players. You got to have your team show up seven months. Um, I think as a coach, you know, when I did, I had to be realistic, you know, I, I, some, you can't go seven months and expect these kids not to, to have some peaks and valleys. Right. And, and versus punishing the kids, you know, and, and expecting them to, you know, frankly, for us as pro players take off seasons that these kids don't get, they do. So, you know, these are people that get paid millions of dollars and clearly love it because they've done it. Their, this is what their life is. Um, so, so for the kids that are, you know, the 94%, the 16 out of 17 that play club, that love the sport, that want to get better at the sport, mm -hmm. but maybe more than just a volleyball player, you know, we, we have to have that effort. Um, but, but maybe we need to take a step back and say, if these kids can't give that effort, what, what do I need to do differently as a coach? Right. I got to work with the sports psychologists and the warriors. And that's one of the things he says, when I'm not getting the results I want from my kids, I'm going to go to them and say, what, what, what do you, more do you need from me? You know, and if a kid doesn't want to be there, well, then that's really what we got to address. Not how do, how do we beat them to greatness? Mm -hmm. Maybe you, the best thing we could do as a coach is to talk to them and their parent and say, is this how you want to invest your time and money? And I, I think a lot of clubs, it's hard to do that because that doesn't, you know, that doesn't help the margins. You know, you, you, you said a whole bunch. Um, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, this, no, because you covered a whole lot of layers. And I think in order for you to answer the question, you have to, you, we have to cover all those layers, right? It's not, the answer is not one dimensional. So, um, but I, what I wanted to do was touch on one of those dimensions. Like if a kid looks like he's not showing effort, sometimes it's not the lack of effort itself. It's, it's a lack of understanding on the how. Right. If he's taught a certain way that coaches like you and me might consider the wrong way to go about it, because there, I mean, I think I think on a level there is a basic way to play volleyball, like straight and simple, one move to the ball and this and that, that we we all as coaches co-sign. That should be a general blanket now outside of coaching styles and player styles developments. But that I think that's very, very important because I think that's something a lot of coaches miss. And I think that's what leads the consequence or punishment. Right. Like we're doing a service. If you get ace cleanly, everyone's going back line. 
Like if you don't go for the ball at all. And maybe like you just said, maybe there's just something that doesn't allow his him his effort to to um not get ace cleanly on that. And some and sometimes it's just a good serve, right? But 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 you touched on this something very, very, very important because as coaches, we di- we immediately diagnose, try to diagnose pl- players who are, who we think aren't trying, uh, without understanding the scope of that. Such an uber. I mean, out of all the layers that you just talked about, I can't believe that's the one I'm coming up with first. But at the same time, super necessary. Um, thoughts? You're going to talk about that. I mean, you know, the the truth is, is our sport's all about movement. You know, the first thing I teach, right, I got it from Stein, is is the the push step, the movement in the stand, right? Um, Metzger. So, yeah. Okay. So he's the only coach that I ever was taught movement from, and I think it, after learning it, I thought that was the most important thing I ever learned. Good lord, God. You know, and and so, you know, because you could be the best passer, the best set, the best header, but if you can't get to the ball, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So you know, serve receive in its simplest form, it's a race to where the ball's going to go and angling the platform to the right angle. Right. That's, that's as simple as we can make it. Well. If I've got a drill, you know, I'm not saying that fear at some point isn't going to get a little more hustle out of kids. It does. People wouldn't do it if it never got any results. But long term, what my goals are, I want my players. Uh, hesitancy is is one of the deadliest diseases for a volleyball player, in my opinion. Like not going full. We, we got a lot of court to cover in a short amount of time. So I want my kids as loose as possible. Right. So I'm, I'm kind of the, like. When we don't pass well, we're losing the race. So I tell my kids, right? So it's a couple of things we got to figure out. One, how's our footwork? Are we in a position where we're in a good position to get a good first step to the ball? Two, are we really diagnosing where that ball's going early so that we can get to the general area and then make little adjustments versus we we wait till we know exactly where it's going and now our platforms happening to the ball so the ball's happening to our platform, right? And and third is like okay. Are they really thinking about where exactly they're trying to make that ball go? Right. Those are the things. Bless you. God bless you. Um, so Jay says, bless you too. So, um, you know, every time a kid makes a mistake, even if it's a hesitancy thing, I'm more interested in figuring out why they're hesitating. Right. I want to make these kids, it's the opposite. I want to make these kids fearless of the mistake. I want them to embrace the mistake that sometimes you're going to shank a pass. Sometimes you're going to miss a set. Sometimes you're going to miss a hit, serve out of bounds, get blocked, whatever. And how we respond to that makes all the difference. And it's very counterintuitive. When we're not passing well, you know, when people give up a string of passes, they get aced and then they freeze. They don't want to make a mistake again. Right. So I need to teach these kids, Hey, when you're not passing well, you got to be more confident with your movement, as weird as that feels. And, and it's not what your brain's feeling or what you got to push through that. You got to say, I got to be faster. Right. And and my opinion is, is if I'm using fear as a motivational tactic to get them to move. But now I'm getting them like, oh, am I going to have to run or not? Like you're making the drill less about am I passing while you're making it more about I don't want to run. Right. I'm not saying it doesn't work short term, but but if my goal long term is to make a complete player, I think one of the first things we have to do with my kids is is unlearn what they've learned at these other places, which is you're going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. It's okay to make mistakes. We don't want to make the same ones over and over again. And we right? don't want fear to be residual, right? Like like you, I could have four incredible players all doing exactly what I asked them to do, mm-hmm. and the record at the end of the day is going to be 500. 
two players are going to lose every point. No matter what we do, there's never a point where it's going so well and I blow the whistle and I'm like, and there's times where I'm watching this Valley and I'm already sad because I know I'm going to have two kids that are going to be destroyed that they lost it at first, right? I, I can't blow the whistle and say everyone wins. So no. so I feel the, the, the best thing we can do as coaches is take a step back and, and when a mistake happens, you know, even if it's we're not moving, right, is encouraging that effort, right? right. And, and almost making that the goal versus the execution, not mm-hmm. that we don't want the execution, but once I get the effort, then I can coach volleyball. Because at the end of the day, you can know everything about the XSO. It's your point. If you can't get these kids to go for it, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if they understand what they're trying to do. It's, they're they're going to lose the race. So, yeah, yeah well, I just let me. Well, there's a whole bunch of players I can use as an example, but I'm going to use Miles Partain. Miles um, Partain, let's say he gets aced or let's just say he misses a dig something for the and i'm only using him because you know there's an there's enough tv time and there's enough video for people to to watch him and, and use this as an example to what i'm getting what i'm about to talk about next he misses a pass he will mimic when the play is over he will mimic what he either what he did or what he or what he was supposed to do right and i like it because it's the ultimate reset button where you're not thinking about it you're almost instinctively reverting to to a technique or something that you taught that is time to and on a time-tested basis however short his time was but on a time-tested basis has worked and is continuing to work you know, yeah. and, and it was something, it was cool because it came to my attention because Rob McLean, my boy Rob, was in Chicago. Yeah. And, um, Met him. And, um, Told him I like the work he does with you. He's, 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 a, he's such Love a... Love the way he plays, too. Yeah, and his reach. I mean, you want to talk about someone that's one partner away from being really, really good. <laughs> that That's him. His hands almost look like he's not even touching the ball. <laughs> right? His, his release doesn't, doesn't even... It looks like an invisible man is like taking... But when he played Miles and Lotman, the second phase, because he, he he survived day yep, one. Day two. Um, day yeah, day two. It was something that I was looking at, and I'm like, wow, Miles does that a lot. Miles, and and it works for him. And you never, you rarely see that kid get aced, or you or or like on 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 defense. Let's say he he misses a first step, he'll he'll mimic he'll mimic his shuffle or first step, and then it's like this fix. And I think. Whoever got him young, man, it really, really helped him out because now it's something that that is that has allowed someone like him to catch up and pass a lot of people who are going to the qualifier, which is why I got into that whole cowboy up thing. But um, I think that works as a coach, right? Uh, um, and one last thing Absolutely. I wanted to add um, that's related to this, but I, and I, I hope we didn't veer too far away. I've turned some things that some people consider a punishment into... Um, into something fun like we'll do a drill a certain drill and whoever wins the drill has to do like left and right 12 times as soon as as soon as they pass the ball another ball's tossed boom and and you know at the end right by by eight or nine they're diving right and they're diving and they're sure. diving and some people would consider it a punishment for doing something wrong but what happens when i did this drill one of the players comes up to me. He's like, "Coach, can I do that next?" And I'm like, "No, you got to win the drill. <laughs> you got to win the drill to do that." So, so I got kids who are competing for the right to be to do something that some coaches <laughs> consider a punishment. So, so there are things we as coaches can do that that can psychologically manipulate these kids who who and who say they want to compete and. And it actually it actually helps you gauge. It shows shows who wants it, you know. And then some people uh, maybe it's not that thing, but I thought I thought it was just a little fun caveat that I would add. And I told I told Sarah in our podcast. Yeah, 
I mean, I, I you know, I, I tell my kids, I have a simple goal. I want to help you be the mentally and physically strongest player you can be. That's my goal, right? And and I can only go as hard as you go, mm-hmm. right? And and you know, again, it it's a beach unique thing. I couldn't do this in club when you've got a team. But with the beach, no, again, I, I got girls that are like, I want to play in college and they want to go three days a week and they want to, you know, watch film. That that's awesome. And we can provide that. And I got girls that love the sport, that want a high level of education, but they're fantastic musicians. They're fantastic. You know, they, they, they're in theater. You yeah. know, I know that that hits home with you. They play other sports. Frankly, they, they, they love the sport, but and they want to be good at it, but it's secondary to something else. How many right? hours in a day do they have, right? Right. You know, like and, Nolan and Albrecht? How many hours in a day did that guy give up sleep? To do what he did, to play a full, to be a full-time NCAA player, and to pursue, uh, uh, I think his um, fine arts degrees in musical or, or theater, either musical theater or theater performance. He's, def- he's definitely music. How? <laughs> what? You know, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I, I just, I'm sorry to interrupt it, but you're right. You're onto something where like volleyball may be tied for first, or vi- volleyball may be a close second or a distant second. And and just kind of more youth sports than just beach volleyball, right? Like my dad kind of hit the nail on the head for me on, on like it set the table for, for why I wanted to coach. He's like, you know, for most of these kids, youth sports is their first experience with failure. Um, it's the first time for a lot of these kids, they're going to be going for a goal. They're going to go against other kids that are also going for this goal. And only one person or team is going to come out on top and teaching them how to work through that adversity. That's something that's going to help them with their education, their relationships, their careers. Right. That's what coaching 11 to 18 year olds should be. And I think one of the things that we're struggling with is when you've got a $19 billion industry that before the pandemic, there was a report saying by 2026, it was going to be up to $77 billion. And that money doesn't come from development. It doesn't come from life lessons. It comes from commercializing. It comes from getting people to commit more, to spend more money on travel, and these qualifiers and these nationals and these recruiting agencies, we're, we're dealing, you know, I kind of want to segue to to one of the biggest challenges. And, and I had this epiphany this summer. In our region, um, in June, they announced that club was going to move their tryouts up to July. And that was after a really grueling club season on top of like in spring, high school and club were going on simultaneously. Bananas. Tryouts for beach. No, for club. For indoor. And, uh, and, other sta- and other states do this already. No, for club they indoor? End- yes. Okay. So cl- so these parents and players that I'm, you know, they're finishing up their club season. It's been a long season. They've done it with high school at the same time, which they've never had to do before. And then they get told as their season ends that in three or four weeks that um, trials are going to happen for the following year before high school season, which we won't even get into that today. That could be another podcast, right? And I got these parents and players that feel, you know, all of a sudden there's all these optional camps in June by these organizations, right? As we know, tryouts aren't tryouts anymore. They're not. Let's, let's stop. Let, let's rip the Band-Aid off. These clubs know who's on their ones teams already that's returning, and they're filling in the blanks with kids that come from other programs. It, it, it's recruiting, basically. It's the way it is. But it's, it's what it is. And I had 
so many parents from June to July calling me. And they're literally using the words hateful, toxic, and ones I won't repeat out here, uh, regarding the coaching that their kids got. So this was a time, you know, I, I to a fault I don't market, but I basically said, look, I don't, I think there are a lot of kids that love their club experience. And if you've got a good program, you've got a good situation, you feel you're getting what you paid for, you're happy, your kids are getting those life lessons on top of good volleyball, stay. That's good. I get these parents that that tell me that these things about the coaching environment, and then they sign them back up. And I, I so I, I asked them after the fact, I said, not judging, I just need to understand, why would you do that? Why would you have a mentor for your child? You're paying thousands of dollars a year for your child's individual development and you're being treated as a cognitive machine. And frankly, you're not even being given the proper opportunity when things, when, when your kid doesn't do well, they do get punished. They do get, you know, not just punished. They're not even being taught the proper technique because these coaches don't know it. And they're being, they're literally being mentally and verbally abused. It's, 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 it's happening. And, and the parents are terrified because the kids are terrified. I've had parents that are very successful business people that are alpha people, but when their kids express that fear of you're going to take me away from kids that I'm comfortable with, what we have to address is that parents with good intentions are leaving their kids in toxic coaching situations because it's a familiar social situation. And something that I think if, if I have one piece of advice to any parents that are watching this, it's, you're not going to be able to protect your kid from new social environments when they go to college. You're not going to be able to protect them from dealing with new social environments when they move somewhere for their job or move into the first place and have to build their social network. I, I understand that for a lot of these kids, this is their social life because they do it year round, right? And they build bonds with these kids. But there is not a friendship that justifies putting your kid with a program that clearly is looking at you as a check and is putting your kid in a situation where they're going to graduate high school. They're not going to have the skill development that they need. And more importantly, they're going to go into life with a mindset that I'm either good at something or I suck at something because that's what the coaches have taught them. If, if, and these kids are smart, and, and certain clubs, what they're doing is they're doing these competitive cauldrons mid-season. So instead of having your ones, your twos, your threes teams, they're putting these kids against each other at their respective positions. And then if they're doing well, then they get moved up a team. If they're not, they're moved down. And they're getting blatant difference in coaching quality if they're on one team or the other. And these kids see that. So you're, you're literally showing them if you don't play at a certain level, even if you're paying the same amount as your peers, we're not even giving you the same. There's an injustice. We're not even giving you the same opportunity to catch your peers. Is right? There, is this one of the reasons why you just said to hell with indoor? It's why I had to. Because yeah. here's the and this is, there doesn't the, seem to big be a big uh, a, a solution. The the club I worked for. Well, I mean the 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 solution is the the solutions, but it's costly. And if you care about money, if you care about the income more than the outcome. You're not going to solve it. They're you know what I'm saying? Because anyway, it's a challenge. But they're you, paying anyway, though. Well, well, you know, what we're not talking about is like if you had a, a flow chart. Okay. So I'm a big club. I'm successful. My one's kids across the board are going to stay. Right. And I'm going to lose a large amount of my kids on threes teams or lower. 
because they're going to get a garbage situation. And I'm, uh, no disrespect, some really good threes coaches out there. But the bottom line is my gripe is with USA Volleyball only having a three-hour class on how not to get sued to coach club. Like, we don't prepare coaches to be close. And, and something that's happened in our area is now you're seeing high school juniors and seniors coaching younger club teams because it's cheap labor. And and clubs are, are getting the opportunity. It's putting – doesn't matter. If they, once the parents cut the check, it doesn't matter how bad that team is. And mm-hmm. what they know is, okay, so we might lose 100 kids that are going to leave because they're not happy. That's fine because we're going to fill with 100 kids coming from other clubs that had the exact – it's like we're, we're just playing hot potato with all the kids – that we're not willing to give the same opportunity as our top kids. Enlisting right? glorified babysitters. I yeah. agree. So, 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 you know, you want to talk about solutions? Number one, we need every, it shouldn't be something where there's such a disparity between the quality of coaching. My ones coach, my, my threes or fours coach should be able to teach the basics just as well as, as my ones coach. If I understand you're not going to necessarily have the same level. You're not. But your basement's got to be higher. And we have club coaches that should have no – they don't even have the psychology of how to deal with kids when they're not doing well. And you're just screaming at the kids. So I, we need to have a higher standard for what it takes to be a club coach. I agree. Right? And and it's so much easier to find in, in beach volleyball where, like, even the people that coach supposedly the threes or whatever, even those people are sharp. It's, well, like, they're it's, so, it's like they're so interchangeable. Like, endless summer, like – when I was with with Duran, I'm with I'm with LA Beach now in LA Volleyball Club. Um, Dane's Dane's taking over for Stein for Beach and um, Jo Jason Alves doing indoor, but but um, like Jeff Samuels could coach like something we call the knuckleheads, the girls who are going already going to college, or he can coach the 13. So it's so much different for Beach, and that's probably why you're, you're you well. Know. It's also so the reason I want to go to mm-hmm. Beach is like okay, I had someone that that wanted to bankroll me to run a club, and I'm like okay, and and. You know, the better we get, the bigger we get. And the bigger we get, the more coaches I need. And at some point, no matter how much I would want to coach in-house, like I, my basement's going to be bigger than the, the typical club. But at some point, I'm not going to be able to look a parent in the eye and say, I can give every kid the same opportunity for development. That's what it should be about, the opportunity for development, yeah. right? My, my, my kids that are undersized or don't put the work, they're not going to go to college and play. Mm-hmm. But that should be based on their commitment, not my opportunity given. Hundred percent. Right? So, um, with with beach, you know, this summer from eight thirty to ten thirty, I'm working with my twelve and thirteen year olds that have never touched a ball in the sand. Right. And I'm the, the coach. Two hours later, that's working with our kids that are going to go excel in college. Right. The beauty with beach is the bigger you get, you don't need more coaches. You might bring a couple into to space, but. I don't have to designate to only one or two teams. So my fingerprints and Kristen's fingerprints are on every single pro, you know, group of kids. Everyone is getting that same system, that same attention, that same growth. And so many kids come to my program that just have these awful stories. And they just like, you would have thought by their experience, like these coaches were like, oh my God, these you can't do anything with these kids. No. And the moment you give them an opportunity and you show them that, like, you're going to let them have a chance. Man, do they get better fast. Well, Man, do they, I don't you know, know if you we, notice we, it. we whip on them. Well, I don't know if you notice it, but a lot of those coaches we're talking about that in Nightmares are starting to. There's still, look, there's some people they're making their money and some pe- people, uh, their parents feel like their hand is forced to go there because that's where the opportunity lies for their kids who advance, where they think. But I noticed that since people like you 
Um, I like Adam Johnson too. I put him in that category. He's he's got a beach club. Um, he's doing more with less, and and he's he. It's crazy because he's being criticized. Oh, I thought he. Oh, he thinks because he's a he's a beach player. He's a great coach. Look at his players. I'm like, no, he's not recruiting. He's not he's not teaching the same. He's not enlisting the same people and playing glorified babysitter. Okay, he's not an average mechanic in a room full of Ferraris. All right, he's a fucking great mechanic turning Ford Pintos into Tauruses. All right, so that's that's where I put you the, you and him. In this uh, uh i don't know if that's where the buck continues the stops but you and aj are very very much like that but as more coaches like you are on the scene for the juniors as more coaches like aj as more coaches um um endless summer's got a slew of them um holly mcpeak uh, I, I don't know if it's elite like her and and like um, maybe not for Noy, but her and like some of the other coaches, aaron wexler I, I like a lot of as you guys continue to show that there's another way to skin a cat I think a lot of these people and parents are going to be like, wait, we don't have to do this, do it this way. We don't want to do it this way. So we're not going to do it this way. And it seeped into college too. Like, look, Division I uh, sports is a cold world. And my and my attitude, Bill, like you are what your record says you are, is more applicable. But if you got someone like John Mayer, who has like this stress-free environment for women's volleyball and the, the the drama that comes with women's volleyball is like little to none. That's saying something. You got uh, Anna Coyier who, who, who passed the baton to Dane. Two completely different styles of coaching as far as growth mindset and, or just like someone who's old school hardcore. Um, people, when people have other options and still choose that asshole, and did I say asshole? I didn't mean to call that person an asshole. That's just the way they coach. No, asshole. Asshole. Yeah, I said it. Um, you, got, you, got, but you got that as, coach. No, but as you but listen, as you continue proper education to get the job done. Right. But as you can as they see they have other options and still choose that person, maybe there's not a whole lot to be done with that. But but people are people are moving. There's 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 a, a there's a you know what I'm saying there's there's some movement in the game. And I'm not saying I'm not sending a message that you can't be strict and you can't be hardcore with your kids. All right? Because those are still producing the best players in the world outside of the United States. All right? Poland, you look at you look at what's going on in the academy and and Norway. Uh, um uh, then they, these aren't exactly the nicest coaches in the world, but at the same time, uh, there's something about actually getting some real volleyball in there. Instead of sitting up from this perch, talking from up here, that that's gonna that's gonna make people more productive players. Well, and let's, and let's make something clear: like we're tough coaches at progression, and we're tough in a different way. We're not tough by screaming at kids when they make mistakes. Right. We're tough because when my kid that wants to play at a certain level, when they reach out here instead of taking that extra step to go midline, if that's what we're working on, yeah, we're gonna get on it for it, right? We're tough because when you're not, you know, you get a ball inbounds, you get the point, but your footwork wasn't like you're out here instead of getting underneath the ball, uh -huh. right? So you can get your peak reach. We're mm -hmm. on them. Like there's not a single mistake you make that if I don't see you correcting, doing the Miles Partain thing, which I love that you talked about, right? We don't dwell on the what. We say, why did it happen? How to correct it? And if you make a mistake and I see you think about the what, you're just pissed off because you don't like the result. Hmm. You're gonna you're, not in a not in an aggressive way, but you got to deal with me, right? Like my players, you know, they'll tell you I'm challenging because I'm on, right. right? And you can do it from a place of I'm here to help you, instead of you're failing my program. That's right. why our, our tagline is you, we don't you don't play for us, we coach for you. Mm -hmm. it should be the way it is, 
with 11 True. to 18 year olds, especially the ones that are paying money for their individual. Yes, it's, dude. It's, it's that's the, you know, and again, I'm not sitting here trying to bash indoor or club. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, is we've got challenges that come with when you run a club of a certain size and we need to stop just looking at the bottom line of the margins and saying, well, this is great. Or, because, or change the bottom line altogether because, or change because, what the bottom line is. Because I guarantee you if those directors, mm-hmm. if it was their grandchild right. that was on that fours or fives team, they would be a lot more in tune on making sure that that they were being treated a little differently than they currently are. Right. And, right. The, and it's, again, I, I, I don't think the burden falls with the organizations. I think the burden falls with the governing bodies that are supposed to be setting expectations of like, hey, if you're part of you, if you're a club in my governing body, if I run one, mm-hmm. then we're going to have an actual certification process that teaches the basics of the sport. Every single coach should be able to look at a kid when they mess up a pass and understand how to look at their feet, how mm-hmm. to look at their arm positioning, how to look at their body and know how to fix it versus just screaming, we got to pass the ball better or I can't get this kid to do it. Like that's your job. That, right. That's the purpose of it. For I the, Not in a pompous way. Isn't no. you know You talked about being an expert. I've never seen a kid make a mistake in our sport and not understand why it happened, right? As a hitter, you're early, you're late, you're too far behind the ball, you're too far underneath it, you're outside, you're inside. It's one of those six every single time. And we need to do a better job making sure that any single person that's being put in charge of these 11 to 18 year olds Mm -hmm. who are paying thousands of dollars to be part of that program, they should have a coach that we could give a pop quiz and look at a kid making a mistake and say, how do you help them fix that? And and right now, yeah. I would argue that I would say 80, and I might be underselling it, 80% yeah. of club coaches, I'm not knocking them saying they're, they're you know, even the ones that yell. What I'm going to no. tell you is those coaches have not been required to have the tools to get the job done right. And that's that's my gripe is, yeah. is let's stop using all the juniors profit and quit. I don't want to hear anyone tell me about USAV being a non-for-profit. All that means is they take a bunch of money and they spend that money. Right. And they're spending it on our national team. Exactly. I want to see that money going back to the kids, better coaching education, better, but it shouldn't be something where we're literally using these 11 to 18 year olds to fund the adult program. And we're destroying some kids in the process. Well, they learned on how to do it in the regional scene, right? The double B's and single A's are supporting open. I mean, right. They're, so that's how, that's how they're doing. What do you it. mean? Well, right. You play a double B tournament in Long Beach, New York, right, or a double A tournament, they give you a free beach chair or whatever, and this and that. But the money you're but, but paying a, is going to go to open, a, and the money you're paying is going to go to the person money but, for open. But you're paying a tournament uh-huh. to play, to participate. Right. That's different than being a kid. One hundred percent. Double B at the. No, but I'm saying group. they borrowed that idea for them to make money. That's. But it's, but it's, it's but almost, it's not apples to apples because yeah, no. that's an idea. You're taking no, a participation, mm-hmm. but but it has to be. Hold on one second. I just want to tell everybody the reason why I keep looking to my right. Um, we got we're we're live right now, so someone had a question and Alexia. I want we're gonna we if you stick around. I want I want me and Brian to help you answer that question. Or it was more like a statement. That's like a question. Um, you're right, Brian. Finish. Let's do it before we lose him. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, basically he said. And this is important because uh, he said there's not enough coach, good coaches for everyone. We both agree. But he also posted on um, parents don't know any better. And it's because it is hard to know 
how good or bad the coach is. So I guess right. my question to you is how much of the onus is on the, on the parents to research that and how much on the onus is that, um, well, we already, we already took a giant swipe so, at, at coaches. No, I love job, that's but. a great question because I got so many parents that come to me mm-hmm. and they're like, what's a good, in-? you know, I get it. They're still going to play indoor. What's a good indoor coach? You know, what's a, or a good indoor program, right? And the challenge is, is like, I tell people, it's like going into a dealership and, you know, there's two or three Mercedes sitting there and then there's a bunch of gremlins with bees in the tailpipe, right? And you're not going to know which car you get until you, you put that down deposit down, right? Um, so, so it's tough because I have parents. Here, here's the challenge, I think. I think parents feel that they have to enroll in certain pro- – like, you're right. They, they, they're in a program that they're not happy at, but they're fearful. Like, well, if I go somewhere else, what if it's worse? Right. And all I can tell you is any parent that, that takes that mentality, I understand it because as bad as it might be, it's manageable. Right. But you're setting a blatant ceiling on what your kid's going to be able to do. And again, you're putting them in a situation that's probably going to hurt them mentally. Um, so, so I do think parents need to be stronger at no matter how much the kid kicks and screams, what you got to understand is when that kid goes to another program, they will make other friends. And if they don't, then then at least you know you gave them a shot to to go into a healthier environment. And at the end of the day, if you go to four or five clubs, it just doesn't work out. Well, maybe that's an indication that it's it's just not the culture that that you know your kid's going to thrive in, right? Um, but but I just think that that. Yeah, it's it's tough, and I think it's important for co- parents to go to a club. Door. I try and tell my par- parents. You know, the other thing that's an issue is you get a lot of kids that get put in positions different than what they want to play, and frankly, they're not really going to make a splash because that team needs a middle. That team needs, you know, this position, right? And I think any parent that that is paying money for their kids' individual development and they want to play a certain position because that's what they're going to do in high school or that's the position they're comfortable with. You have every right if you're paying that type of money to say, my child is coming here to develop at this position. And if you don't have a team where she has that opportunity because you've already got loaded at that position, that's fair. But you need to be transparent about that so I can take my money elsewhere. And I think a lot of parents don't realize, like, you know, again, it's it's they, they get put in situations where they end up fitting the design of whatever that coach needs to have a, a complete roster and a full team. And that's wrong to me. You know, because tryouts are no longer tryouts like clubs to this day. Like it's it's um, it's September and there are clubs that are promoting looking for club coaches. Right. Two months after tryouts because they took on more kids than they had proper coaches. If I was sports are, I would say that before the first day of tryouts for a club affiliated with my governing body, Mm -hmm. that you would have to have your coaches certified in a program that actually taught proper coaching and you would have to list your amount of coaches. I wouldn't make you say, okay, 18 ones, this 18 twos, this, because I recognize you can't control what, what, um, what, what kids you have try out. You may not have that conglomerate of kids. Right. But I think every club should have to have their coaches certified and ready to go versus what we do now, which is take on, you know, everyone makes it. And then you need two to five coaches because you don't have enough coaches. And then you're just getting anybody you could throw into the impact certification. And the kids that are the leftovers, the kids that need the most help with the sport are getting whatever coach 
you you can cut the check too, so you, your margins look better. So certified in what? With what? Cap one? I, cap again, two? I would. I, the caps are. I don't like. <laughs> I wasn't I trying to bait you. I swear to God. No, no, no. no. It's important to talk about this. Okay. <laughs> I'm not. I wasn't trying to bait you. Because I had no idea no. when I asked that question. No, it's a, we need to talk about this. Chase, the reason I come out of this yeah. podcast is because I like the fact that we're going to talk exactly what we feel about things. But so I'm very much for, like an attorney. A lot you. of times I don't ask the question. I, I don't have a guess on the answer to no, that one. You, you, that one I jumped in. I jumped out. I jumped no, out without a parachute. Mm-hmm. Well, you didn't Please. know what I was going to say. Cap one, cap two. All right. So <laughs> I did. I did a certification. In one of the caps. Mm-hmm. And that's the extent. <laughs> Twenty people. Right. Two of us actually had a playing background which I thought was awesome, honestly, because we were going to do these drills with the 20 people. We were going to look like a lot of these lower level programs, right? Because we had people that don't play. And three of the things they talked about that I liked was was random versus block. Uh, Number two was ask the question. So if they make a mistake, don't tell them you need to do this. Say, well, what do you feel there? What do you think happened there? And I'm a big believer on that. Me too. and number three was, was you know, less is more, which I know I don't always do that uh, at the beginning because I want my kids to understand the why behind the what. But we get to a certain point where they, I can give them four words and they know we've already had that conversation on what that actually means, right? All right. So we go over all that. And then they put the 20 people in a drill. It's a bump setting drill. And it looks terrible, which is great because now what I'd like them to do is – Take a step back to ask the coaches, well, what do you think? What do you feel there? What do you think, right? We run the drill. Looks terrible. The coaches talk. You know, it's a block drill. They The, the cadres talk about what they needed to see differently in long form, but not really about the mechanics. Just, just talking about the drill, right? We finish a drill done incorrectly. We're not squaring up. We're not using our legs. There's no talk about the individual mechanics that were breaking the drill. And then we moved on. And I'm sitting there like, whoa, 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 whoa. You just gave 18 people the wrong way to do the right drill, right? We need certification process that teaches the individual mechanics. Let's get away from the drill books. And let's get to actually teaching. I should be able to look at a coach and show them a mistake and they should tell me why that happened. Our sport is is just fun geometry. It's physics, right? And you get these coaches that, that oh, this person's just not hitting well. And they don't know how to look at the spacing of the approach. Where, where do they transition? Are their first steps, you know, allowing them to get the right step closed? Are they getting their arm back? Are they getting the right contact point? Are they following through the right way? It's not that hard once you get the proper education, but there's nothing that's doing that right now. There's nothing. Even the caps. The caps will tell you how to make a good practice plan, right? And at the two or three level, maybe there's some like high-end studies on, on certain things with physics and whatnot. It's not rocket science. Everyone that coaches volleyball should be able to break down passing. The footwork, arms target, Right. When things don't go well, it's our upper body's moving. Our lower body isn't. We're not getting to the ball. Like we need to give that setting talking about, you know, bump setting and hand setting, foot positioning, hand positioning. When we miss, you know, sometimes we catch the ball too far in front of us and instinctively our elbows go forward. So we push the ball too. So getting underneath the ball, right? Basic stuff. 
in, in, in an hour or two, I can teach someone that knows nothing about volleyball. That they're going to need time to, to eye sequence and, and master it, but I can give them that. I get like girl yesterday. I, I never really was allowed to serve. Right. But she's start, smart with math and science and she's hitting the serve in, but she, you know, I, I'm not good laterally. So we get her to the point within 20 minutes, she's going left, right, center. She can, she understands, Hey, wherever you want that ball to go, your arm has to follow through between our targets. Right. Boom. She starts hitting it. All right. We're going to work on short serves. We're going to talk about less follow through same contact. Well, I've never done short serves 20 minutes. She could do a short serve. And here's the thing when she missed and she still missed, but when she missed by the end of the practice, I could look at her and say, why do you think you missed? Oh, my toss was bad. Oh, too much follow through, right? If we could teach a 16-year-old kid who got cut by her high school team and was never given the proper coaching, if in one hour I can give her an understanding, where's the education for our coaches that actually deal with coaching? Why is the education right now about how not to get sued, how to run, like here's a drill to occupy your kids, but here's not actually the right way to run it. And it's it's frustrating. Well, it's frustrating because there's there's listen, there shouldn't be a disagreement on 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 what's the right way to do it. I think I mean, for me, once you reach a certain level above that level, anyone that says that says there's only one way to do this should really just um, take whatever book they're writing and just throw it out. Uh, because there's more than one way to skin a cat, but we're talking on on the juniors level. We're talking on we're just talking basic fundamental stuff. We're talking like you said, straight and simple. We're talking one move to the ball. Um, I'm a big hold your platform guy, right? I'm uh, having to explain the why and the mechanics of that, why that makes sense. I'm not I'm not gonna explain it like a like a like a uh, um, a physics a PhD physics professor because I think as coaches, there's a certain level that if you learn it and you master it and you teach it you you should be allowed allowed to call yourself an expert on that level right the the physics of the ball and and wh- how uh how it differs from like an avp optics or an indoor molten uh, fine have someone go in the lab and study that but but at the same time have us vet the study before we go out there repeating bullshit all right. Um, Alexi said proper mechanics are the biggest missing piece in the U.S. And not enough coaches with enough with uh, with pro experience. And that's why the world is getting that much better in Durham Beach. Um, I agree with everything except um, the reference with coaches with pro experience because the guys that don't, don't even touch the ball like that. Oh, a pro coaching experience. I get that. Oh, no, I get that. Never mind that. But I think like you said. In order for there to be a, a, a baseline way for every coach to understand, I think we as coaches have to get together and, and to have, have a certification progress process where we all agree across the board. And I think sometimes some of these coaches' egos, some of these people who are used to speaking, who are doing it for so long, they feel like, they, feel like they have to be up here, speaking up, or up here, up here to down there. Even if they're right, it's just a fucking turn up. It's like, I don't even, I don't want to work with this guy. I got, like you said, I got, I got better things. I got kids, kids I'm trying to teach and I got to sit there and listen to and, and, and work through this guy just to get what I want. Are there other options? Is there another guy that knows as much as he does that, that has the ideas that doesn't talk like an asshole? So sometimes it comes from an ego driven place and the ego the ego and lack of inclusiveness what i was saying in the beginning of this podcast is the obstacle uh, uh we're about solutions but i'm presenting more obstacles that continues this that that allows this 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 conversation to continue to take place and i think the solution is really just having a circulation or a networking of more people like you 
because if people realize that they have someone like you that that comes with a wealth of experience that 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 is still an admitted student of the game that that that's like you're very much like lauren bacall she's 80 82 years old talking about well life i'm still learning about acting <laughs> she when she was 82 she said acting is a lifelong learning experience uh how does that how does that translate to volleyball very much so uh, so my active proposal solution is somehow just continue i mean the that's what, to me, that's what I think a lot of these episodes of the podcast are. You're a four-time, I'm all over the place, but you're a four-time repeat offender for a reason. <laughs> I, th I think we need to have more people where people realize that they have um, other options who are more uh, uh, invested in the right way. I'll say that the right way where they don't have to put up with the bullshit. Yeah, and I think, you know, Let's go back to the passing thing because that's Please. an interesting concept, right? So, like, we had two AVP pros come. One taught midline, one taught inside out. Both are right on the pros right. to each, right? Mm -hmm. In Passing that outside your midline, mm -hmm. you know, you can make more adjustments forward and backwards. It's easier to do so, right? right? But it's not a math. It's just basic math. Like, here's my look – at, look at the size of my bridge versus when I get behind it my room for error should go forward, right? So, like, don't get me wrong. I think for certain players that have a really good hand-eye coordination and can be outside and really control it, that's awesome. They can pass outside, right? And when I have kids outside that are shanking it regularly, then at that point we want to talk a little bit more about midline because you're not getting the result. You The pro doesn't matter because you're not able to execute it in a manner to override the con of it, which is a narrower plane to, to actually contact the ball, right? So I think something that's really important, to, I agree with you, like I have preferences. I'm a midline person preference-wise. Me too. Right? Um, uh, and we talked car, about this. Karch isn't. Karch ain't, but we are. And that's which, okay. Which again, and, and there's, you know, again, Karch mastered. I mean, I, I, I literally have said Karch passed, as far as I'm concerned, as well as any athlete has done any mechanic in sports. That's my opinion, right? Yeah. So for him, that that's what's worked, right? And all I can tell you is some people don't have that touch. No, that's the so guy he won the think, goal with. Severt League's a midline guy. <laughs> so, so I, mean, so I, I think what's, in, so what's important <laughs> for coaches, right, is we should give them the understanding of both mm -hmm. and the tools to understand what athlete might you be a little more out here and what athlete do you need to be more here? Like, you know, again, I, I've got kids that do certain things a different way than, than the norm, but it's clearly, it, it's not hurting. It's helping them more than it's hurting them. Right. Um, so, so, you know, again, you got kids that I got to run more of a shooter's offense. I got other kids where physically, like we should be setting the ball tighter and using our, you know, imposing a role physically. I got kids that can read, the depth of a set in relation to the hitter and can cheat a little bit more on defense. I got kids that got to stay system because they don't have that eye. Right. It, it, I, that's one of the beautiful parts of our sport is there are so many different ways to be successful with it. And that's at the highest level. Then you add to kids where, Oh, again, the, the worst, the level to be honest, like you can, I, I could, I played lefty after my surgery and won a men's A tournament after for four years as a beginner, not being able to do it right-handed, right? So, you know, the, the cool thing is that the lower levels, like you can be lesser physically gifted and mentally employ a strategy that's successful. 
Um, and I just think it's important that we should, we need to, to be aware of multiple systems. Our sport shouldn't be constrained to only one way to do it and, and put coaches in a position to understand it. Can, can you break down the person in front of you and understand watching them, what they need to help them get to the next level? Mm, yeah. And a hundred percent, I'm, I'm going back to tell, to tell people, um, know the difference between science and science collected. <laughs> know the difference between science and science collected. If someone's going to come to me with the term study show, at least take bother to take a look at the study itself. Don't just take it from someone you... I, I, look, we all know people. We all trust people. If you tell me a study shows something, I'm, I'm, if, if I ain't got time, if I got practice this afternoon, I'm, and, and if I want to try something, I might just go on blind trust with you. But it doesn't hurt for me or, uh, um, or for, for you to actually take a, the, the look at the study that you're, you're, that you're parroting the sentiment in its entirety, right? Does the study show, um, is it for indoor volleyball? Does it apply to beach volleyball? Does it apply to men's and women's, which we know psychologically is different. One one we learned is like more through leadership and performance and the other is like camaraderie and sisterhood, like the men and women. That, that's been a study show, uh, a, an accepted study show uh, on a coach's baseline. Um, is the study done for two weeks or was it done for uh, a Three and a half weeks was it? Was it a Division One program where uh, there are people, or was it D three where sometimes you know some people are learning on the yeah. your middles what, are learning what, on was the, the fly. Control group well, yeah, well, you got some rock star outsides, but your middles are learning on the fly. So, so all of these things, people just have to be really, really careful talking about scientific, the scientific that. Just, uh, just be. Be humble enough to call it science collected, right? Because because you got a, a lot of people out there that don't believe in science, and those are just idiots, okay? And then there's some people that believe in any everything that's that's peer reviewed, and and the, and the, those people are, are are just as flawed. I just think critical thinking. Uh, um, I, I, I guess the argument I was trying to get to, and I'm Kanye Westing this all over again, um, right? Where I bring it back, and it's genius for anyone that actually actually still listening. Uh, um, Use your critical thinking skills. Listen to what everybody has to say. Don't be dismissive. You you know, and then and then see what makes sense. It's interesting, like, and and don't take this personal, but like, I think, and I want I, we don't have time to like delve into this. I think one of the challenges is when you say like some people. I don't get the words right. The people you just called idiots. You're like some people don't. Was it believe in science? Critical thinking. Which one was it? Science. Um, Science, People are just right? dismissive of science because they they see a study that but, doesn't but, work, and then they're, but here, and, and I'm but here's Go ahead. but here's something that I think as society mm-hmm. we need to fix. And honestly, I think it's what's going to make or break what we do as a society moving forward. I I agree with you that there are challenges with with groups of people that are very dismissive of things before actually looking into it, right? Um, but I think part of the reason we're struggling to get them to take us seriously when we try to get them to maybe look at our side a little bit more is you see people finish, like they don't do this. And then the, the we're idiots part. Right. And, and if they came from yours and my background, our mentors or education, it'd be confusing. I, I would say, yeah, that, that doesn't make sense why they would feel that way. And, all I can tell you is I, I I was the person during the pandemic that would sit for eight hours and watch an entire court proceeding 
And then I would watch what certain media would spin that into, right? Mm. And some people, they're not idiots, but, you know, I walk into a local restaurant. I walk into my mom's foot appointment when she broke her foot. I walk into um, a lot of different places and you see these media outlets and they're they're selling certain things. And it goes both sides, right? right. Um, I think we, we, we kind of lose sight of the fact that those people that, that, that we, I think we, are idiots or if we were born into their exact scenario and they were born into ours, we might be completely flip-flopped. Right. We would. I, 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 I think some people didn't get the opportunity. All mm-hmm. they know, you know, they've been taught by certain people and they're in a situation where for whatever reason, that's their, their source, um, that, that they've been told by people that they believe they can trust. Right. And I think this, and I think the solution to it is instead of attacking them individually, I think the solution is: right. can we show just, just and we have to be tone deaf to what they do? Sometimes yep. it's hard not to fight fire. I, what I feel is we were fighting the the stuff. It's like playing a volleyball match against someone that you're you're maybe on paper supposed to beat, right? But they're they're getting in your head with stuff in between plays, and you're you're feeding into it, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we started a lot of what we dealt with the last four to five years with, with people bullying on that side, call, calling, you know, names. And now we've kind of started doing that ourselves. It's not a knock at you. It's not just you. No, right? because, because I because, wasn't calling someone a name per se. We're, we're just, we're having yeah. a conversation. But, but like, like it's if hard you come for, to me for political advice, I'm going to say, dude, I'm a fucking moron. I know I'm not a moron. I know I'm not an idiot. So I'm not, I'm not. I'm not literally calling someone an idiot. I'm just I'm I'm speaking right. on a, from a metaphorical non-knowing state. So so I think the people that that don't buy into the science, whether it's volleyball or beyond, uh, what what I'd like to to see people that are pro science do is less criticism of their take and more so like, hey, here are the sources that you're getting your information from that mm-hmm. tells you that you shouldn't believe in the science, and you know, here's you know. Here's the things they're doing that contradict what they're telling you you should do, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think there's so much out there that if we just stuck to the data and just said, hey, well, here's them saying this on one day and here's them saying something completely different a week later mm-hmm. and and avoid the whatabouts and avoid yep. the one side versus 100%. the other. And, and we try to connect with that side. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, sorry to go off on that tangent, but it's something that's literally been on my mind a lot yeah. the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. And I've and I've tried to catch myself to to really it, it, the harder. I, have you watched Ted Lasso at all? Okay, Ted Lasso. That first season, anyone that coaches sports, you need to do, do the trial version if you don't have Apple. Watch the first season of Ted Lasso. It yeah. is exactly. Hey, Apple, it's a free. The first year, the entire first year is free. So go ahead. Oh, it's even better. Well, that just so, expired, but go so ahead. so there's do you, do you have. The episode where he talked about be curious, not judgmental. Be curious, not to yeah, not to judge people. And that judge people. hit me. I, I felt you ever ha- like feel something, but you never knew how to really put it. And then you hear something like that, and it's uh-huh. just like that. That's that's what I felt. I never knew how to say it. Like people it's, that don't agree with how I do things, right? right? Or or frankly, people that I I just like. How could they think that way? And when I was younger, I'd like tell you, I absolutely had people that did certain things and it affected me and it felt personal to me. And I was just like, how could they do that? Right. But I didn't get, you know, 
what he says, like people that judge me, they just didn't ask enough questions. Right. And, and I believe even the people that are completely polar opposite of what I believe, whether it's volleyball or beyond. Right. Um, I think people, uh, it's hard when the way we've seen talk become normalized online the last five years, but we needed to spend more time continuing to ask questions. And if some people are not willing to entertain those questions, just walk away from it. Right. But um, it's not going away. Like they're, they're too, we're digging our, and the more we, we, you know, I see these tweets and people, they say the right data. And then they take this little dig at like, how could someone not believe this? And there's an answer for that. Cause that's we gaslighting. Keep, we, we got, well, it's, it's, that's the right question, but you're asking in a destructive manner. Like how could this idiot feel this way? Or how could any idiot right. reason with this? Well, you know why? Because the people you get your resources from, they get completely different and they're being told, you know, and every time that we attack them, mm-hmm. it further reinforces that fear tactic that the people that are telling them, like it's us versus them, right? right. It's, it's, they're trying to take away your freedom, your life and whatnot. Yeah. Well, so, and I, now I never take that personally because I'm not, you know, ne- you rarely hear me call someone an idiot per se. I'm like, uh, I have I'm a, saying even like, a, like, like I have a friend like a James Barker. Yeah, like I have a friend James Barker. Like politically, we have no reason that we have zero reason to actually want to talk to each other. But like, like you said, when people are face to face and they're not tweeting or whatever, it's like all you want to do is give them a hug, <laughs> right? All you want to do is say, "Hey, let's have a beer," whatever, and this and that. And I think that's where the challenge, like you said, where where it's, it's going to determine where we go as a people. Uh, 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 people really have to just before click before think before they click send. Say yeah. maybe maybe just read what they said out loud. You know, but we're like, starting oh, to see it in per- oh, We're starting like, to oh see God. stuff in. Per- but we're starting to see things in person escalate a little bit too but it escalates because it starts with the tweet and if and if you're tweeting more than you're having personal conversations guess what you're going to be on more tweet mode when you're having a conversation however if you're having more conversations and sending tweets then your tweets will sound more conversational and and like you said there's a place where we can talk to each other as human beings but we're willing to listen well like i we're we're talking about zero politics here but if if you want to have a conversation with someone about gun control and if you call someone a gun nut it's already started off on the wrong foot, right? Like, like it's like that's, that's all you got. That's going to be like, oh, I'm interested in hearing shoes. what you have to say, right? That's exactly. Like, 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 remember Erin Brakovich, and she's like, perhaps we got off on the wrong foot, and she's like, yep, that's all you got, sister. Two left feet and ugly fucking shoes, right? That's that's not that's not that's not how a conversation continues. That's how the conversations. Uh, that's that's someone being dismissive, and that's how a conversation is supposed to end. So I totally get that. I totally so, sorry, sorry to go off on a tangent on well, that, but it's but something that's like I said, it's podcast. something that's been very interesting. It's been something on my mind that, you know, it's called it, the, it's, you had a lot on your mind, dude. We covered USA volleyball. We covered the pro scene. Uh, we, dude, we are two hours and 20. No, I wish I didn't have things. I, I, we, are, I talk, we are two hours and uh, we well, talk about doing something more recurring down the road. So what? This is a mess. This is necessary. You, you came on this show. Yeah, I was just saying like I, I this is this has been great. And I'm just telling you like. I'm just glad I'm a coach and I get to talk about coaching. Are you kidding? (laughs) What? (laughs) I haven't. The only time I've gotten to coach this whole year is just the 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 handful of pros I've been helping prepare for the uh, for the three. Everything else has been color commentating. I've been traveling for that. I went to Atlantic City. I went to uh, um, you know Coconut Beach. Uh, I'm trying to get AVP consideration for the tour next year, which they they are considering. 
Um, cool. I'll say publicly on this podcast, I pretty much know where the answer, what the answer is, because as far as like who has a look or whatever, and who's a, who's a best fit, I might not be their best fit, but uh, the point of my conversation is that they're actually looking. So if someone's looking and the answer is no, I respect that. Them, because uh, I'm not right, Brian. I'm not everybody's cup of tea, right? I'm, I'm at the end of the day, I'm just a kid from Brooklyn, and I'm, and that might not be what everyone's looking for. But uh, I, I'm only offended if someone doesn't look at all. But uh, you right. know, I'm, I got guys like Josh Glazebrook and and guys who are pointing out things on my my bio that you have to look for. Like no one knows I'm a Gulf War vet. No one knew I won a National Defense Medal for Desert Storm or whatever. And this and that. Th- those are things you, if you're scanning my resume or, or my bio, you're not gonna you're not gonna know. <laughs> so that I know, I'm glad. It's good to know that I have someone's ear. You know. Um, so Alexi's like, what do y'all coach? Because that's the way we're gonna end the podcast. Because we're you're gonna plug in whatever. Alexi, um, Brian's gonna go first. Uh, Brian, where do you coach? Uh, he wants to know about about more website, your plugs, your handles. Sure. Uh, Progression Beach Volleyball started in 2014. We're in the Chicagoland area. Just built two indoor sand courts in 2019. Um, we, we, I'm excited. We, we coach all different levels. So we go as young as 11, mm-hmm. um, all the way to adults. My oldest guy I coach is 73. Pretty awesome. Um, and everything in between. Um, we coach for you. You don't play for us. So it, it's always been kind of figure out what people's goals are and help them get there. Um, excited with the pandemic settling down a little bit. Um, to, to get a little more, maybe we'll do some leagues. We'll do some, some, um, events like queen of the beaches, king of the beaches, things of that nature. So, um, currently writing a book, which I'm excited about. So I, I do on progressionvolleyball.com some, some blogging. I'd like to, to cover more topics. So Lexi in the chat, hit me up on uh, Facebook. Let me know if there's certain things you want to see. Uh, my goal is to, to provide content, to talk about the things that, that, People want information on and can't necessarily find whether it's actual volleyball um, education or if it's just the culture of volleyball or youth sports for that matter. Because as far as I'm concerned, um, I, I like beach volleyball because I think it's a really healthy youth sport that can both be good for the competitive athlete as well as the kid that that might never make it to college. <laughs> so, you know, our, our thing is, is that we want to teach life lessons that beyond sports um, that, that help these kids, you know, both with their self-esteem as well as understanding when life doesn't give you what you want, because life isn't always a fair, how do we work through that? Um, and, and it's been really cool. Some of my athletes that didn't necessarily do things beyond high school, I'm getting to that age where a lot of them are adults and it's cool to see them very successful in their respective fields and talk about how some of the things that they learned in the sand transcended to, to what they do now. So that, that's what we do. Yeah. And for me, um, I took a. I was with Endless Summer Beach Volleyball. Um, I'm not with them anymore. As of November, I'm going to be with um, LA Beach, which in which um, Dane Blanton's taking over for Stein. And indoor is J.O. Jason Olive, who's an all, former All American at U of H, and he's got a daughter that's playing, and he's and he's this absolute alpha, and he and he's good at everything. So those are the indoor and beach guys, and I'm with them in November. Um, these are the only guys I trust. Otherwise, I really, I, I'm not really interested in coaching juniors anymore. On the professional scene, some notable players: Jeff Samuels, Kyle Ratty, Chris Austin, Earl Schultz, and Jake Arudia, and Rafa Rodriguez. I helped coach him in the the draw in 2016, and and um, helped him with analytics when he won San Francisco. But um, that's we're just we're just going recent because we can be all day with that too. So that's our recent. That's our our, our recent thing. Go ahead, um, Brian. I, I'm so sorry to interrupt. That was- Completely finished, finished up. But I got a question because I think 
I'm, you know who Gutor is? Isn't that the guy that played at Penn State like 15 years ago? I think so. Yeah. I actually got film of him from 05 Austin. So yeah. real, just real quick story. And he, he probably... So don't 20. have to be quick anymore. We got another no, file. To, 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 2005, I'm 20 years old. Go to my first nationals. And I've never seen like high, high level ball. And uh, I'm pretty sure his team took second. But I brought my camera. I was going to like videotape all our stuff. I go to open. I see them. I spend every moment I'm not playing with my footage, like taking film from 2005 nationals. And I'm pretty sure he's played for... I want to say it was TPC. It's a long time ago with stunts and, and Gustavo Meyer and all of them. I think that's they took him. second. Yep. Pens. So, but if he, if he, if that's him yeah, and he wants he's some old uke, school man. footage of him playing USA volleyball, I, I, some of the earliest footage I ever took uh, with, with my camera was, was him playing. It might be actually 2007 nationals. I, 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 I want to go back even further. Uh, I want to ask Alexi if his father played for the Ukes. There was an all-Ukraine team in 1985 and 86 that won men's open for nationals. So I'm, Great hitter, I'm curious. So. Yeah, it, it is who we know. It, it, and I it, love what he says. Proper mechanics is huge. So, yeah. you know, hey, I see you're in Texas, man. Let's shoot me a message. Let's break bread. And hey, Jake, good to see you. I didn't realize we were going live. I would have shared it. So, Yeah, man, a lot of mutual friends, too. I think yeah. Chris Austin, Jason Olive pops up, too, <laughs> as mutual friends. So he knows Jason Olive. He knows... um. Cool, man. We got wow, yeah, Alexi. That we know, we know who you are, man. You're that you're that dude from Penn State. But great, great question. Um, hope you enjoyed the conversation. In fact, I hope all of you enjoyed this conversation. It had a lot of colors. Um, I want to thank Brian McDermott for for keeping everything copacetic because anyone that's listened to previous episodes know I can go off the deep end and 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 I bring it around and it's genius when I bring it around. But you gotta actually stay with me for that. <laughs> Uh, we've done peas um, and carrots, man. Yeah, man. Anytime. Alexi, cool with the questions. Big shout out to Jake um, uh, Kuzrock, who played with Rob McLean. He just he just gave you a shout out. He said, "What up, Jason and Brian?" Um, he actually played in the Chicago Open and the um, and the Manhattan with with my boy Rob McLean. And you're gonna be a great blocker someday, my boy DJ. Uh, uh, Troy Yearwood, who's a magnificent DJ. I don't. He he's not like a um, an event DJ. He's um, house uh, uh, calypso reggae, like basement parties, big big events, like New York stuff. You know, and which is which is a huge money maker. And he's he's a savage DJ. So shout out to all of you guys that posted. Shout out to everyone that's listening, and the thousand people going to listen to the thousands and thousands of people who listen to the repeat of this. For Brian. McDermott. <laughs> I'm Jason DeBeers. Stay with me. I'm going to hit my music in a minute. But for now, hey, God bless all of y'all, man. We're out. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's do this. Come check out the Option Podcast on OptionDB.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.